Look, it's it's the phone cops. The police are here. All right, so Cobra Talk, episode 43, is going live in three, two. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroh. All right, everybody, welcome to Coco Talk, episode 43, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. How the hell? is everybody we've got yet another jam-packed exciting show filled with action intrigue and romance and uh, have we ever had romance <laughs> don't we all love the computer <laughs> we all love the so let's just say passion <laughs> there, there will be a romance mentioned on the next other show that should mention that Especially if you have a if you have a alcohol involved. (laughs) If Uh, you a little bit. If you have a passion for parrots, this is the episode for you, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Barry Nelson is back with us, and so are the parrots. Uh, So on the program today, Mark Overholzer, how are you, sir? Hi there, hanging in there. I'm really enjoying that uh, that royal blue Coco Talk T-shirt you're wearing there. It looks very very dapper on you. And we have re- joining us again after a um, a legal court uh, sanction uh, hold and cease and desist order, but back on the program from Australia down under, Nick Morentes. Good day, Nick. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Where's my crickets it's been button? So long. So long, you forgot the music. There we go. There's the crickets. <laughs> anyway, so Nick, Nick will find his uh, his mute button, hopefully. Uh, from Ron's guest bedroom, it is Ron Oh, a nice Coco Talk mug there, Ron. I'm digging that. From the Great White North, Curtis Boyle. How are you, Curtis? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the program. From sunny Southern California, Steve hey, York's with us. how's everybody doing out there? We're doing just fine. From New Orleans, we have Boise Pete. Quite, not quite New Orleans, but not far either. Okay, from from Louisiana, shall we say, Southern Louisiana. That's better. There we go. So for us, for us who've never been there, it's all New Orleans. It's <laughs> the state like of New, New Orleans. City, right? Just one big Mardi Gras year round, isn't it? Uh, from Kansas City, Grant Leete, how are you? Doing well. How's everybody else doing today? We're doing all right. Where's the propeller hat, Grant? You just look like you're missing something. Oh, well, I guess we need a... <laughs> there, <laughs> there, we go. Hair. there it is. Wearing the dapper <laughs> royal blue coco. By the way, feel free to have fax machines and phones go off, whatever the hell you know you need to have happen. I just, go- I just muted. <laughs> 
from the land of monochromatic pixels, David Ladd. How are you, sir? Hello, everyone. How are you? <laughs> feel, feel free to send us a fax, if at all possible. I think I pull out my hardware to send a fax. Okay, somebody's telling me that my mic is a little distorted. Anybody else catching that? Tom C. says, Stevie, your mic is a little distorted. Hold on. Check one, check two. Sounds check fine. one. I on Skype, but maybe on okay, YouTube. Okay, maybe on the live. Can anybody listen to the stream real quick? Is my microphone distorted? We shall see. Thank you. Check one, check two. Test one, check two. All right, well, I just lowered the gain on my mic. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, it sounds a little bit overblown. A little overblown. All right, I'll back back the mic away from me, too. All right, from Texas, Richard Lorbieski and Voice and Technologies. Thanks for being here, Richard. Oh, thank you. I'm finally out of the witness protection program. There you go. There you go. From somewhere in Ohio. We have Jason Reichard, the Cocoa Man. Yay. Hey, how you doing? We're doing just good. Baba Booey to you. <laughs> and last but not certainly not least, from my hometown of Miami, Florida, back with us after a while, Barry Nelson. Welcome back, Barry. Hello. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had oh. muted it to avoid all the fax machines and phone calls going off. And it took me a moment to hit the mute button to speak again. Uh, hopefully it was an important fax. Uh, okay, so guys, I, ne- let- I never, I never know because I work for a hospital. So ah, okay. Let me know how my microphone's coming through, guys. If it's still loud or hot or not. Um, well, Jim Brain has commented in the uh, chat room and said that Stevie is indeed overblown. <laughs> well, but what about my microphone? <laughs> wow. Yes. All right. So let me know. Let hey, me know how the. Do mine again, because now I can unmute the uh, the microphone. Oh, by the way, from uh, from Australia, Nick Morentes is here. G'day, Nick. G'day, everyone from the land down under. I'm back after a well a while moving moving house, but I'm all back online with my color computer and ready to uh, give you all plenty of our snowing grief. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Ease well, of use is back. Ease of use is back. That's good to hear. Well, we do have a somewhat of a main topic today we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about compilers. We're going to talk about the CMOC compiler a little bit as it pertains to um, being, um, I'm probably going to misstate all this, but I believe it's in the process of being converted to work with OS 9 as well. And the CMOC compiler we've been hearing quite about. It's been developing and evolving over time. Cocoa Crew Podcast has been mentioning it for quite some time. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> Retro Innovation says, Crikey, I was so enjoying a Nicholas show. <laughs> <laughs> our resident troll is here, and the show wouldn't be anything without him. All we need now is our sponsors, the uh, you know adult debt. Uh, adultdatingsex.com site to come in uh, one, of, one of the sponsors <laughs> of the show so yeah uh, yeah so we're going to talk about that today but uh, we're going to go around the room real quick does anybody have any acquisitions or project updates to mention this week anything that's happened that's kind of cool this week anything good with you Mark looks like a note I guess I should unmute my mic there you uh, go Playing with uh, this ESP32, trying to do some wireless and possibly uh, Ethernet stuff, uh, maybe to hook it up to the Cocoa. Okay. So uh, that's what I'm working on this week. Very, very cool. 
And I, I would imagine, Nick, your project has just been moving and, and settling in. Uh, yeah. I think he's on the third sequel now. <laughs> so I'm all moved. My Cocos are all set up and I'm ready to go. There you go. That's good news. Hey, Ben Anding has just joined us in the live chat. I don't think Ben's ever been with us on the show. Welcome, Ben Anding. Um, <laughs> Jim says, looks like the show needs a primer on microphone controls. Yeah, we could definitely use one of those. Uh, welcome to the show, Ben. If anybody wants to help Ben uh, talk him through joining us on Skype, if he'd like to join us, it'd uh, be good to have him. Uh, Ron Delvaux, anything new yeah. with you this week? Well, I've, I uh, was able to get this... Um uh, Raspberry Pi working, mm. and uh, guess what I found on uh, the drive? When is that? It's not Raspberry. Microcolor. Oh, you found an MC10 on there. Yes. <laughs> oh, Microcolor <laughs> Basic. Uh-huh. Yes. And then uh, we have some more Steve Bjork uh, fun later. <laughs> I thought Dave was the punching bag on the show. <laughs> Dave, hey, uh, hey, hey, I have a don't aim at me. <laughs> That's become a regular segment. Stuff Steve hates. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and we do. There are things I do like, like the sixty-eight online. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the earlier processors I don't care care right, for from old. Right. <laughs> And speaking of segments, we are going to have another segment starting this week, too, that uh, Steve Bjork has proposed, which is, why did Tandy do that? So we'll pick one of the many things <laughs> that we could ask this question of, and we'll pontificate on, on, one, That'll on be great. one such topic. Uh, Curtis Boyle, what's going on with you, eh? Uh, well, uh, work is starting to pick up now, so my cocoa time is getting cut down a bit, but we did finally get the Alpha 2 release out of the Ease of Use Nitrous 9 project. To quite a few people, the 609 version, 609 version, I think I mentioned last week, and I'm hoping to get some feedback because a couple people on the panel are some of the alpha testers. So, Okay, very cool. Mr. Bjork. Oh, gee. Um, finishing up a few of the circuit boards for my hot hackers so I can start working on one that's part of hot hackers that's also going to be able to hook up to the Coco. Okay. And that is my sound card. So it'll play up to six MIDI files, excuse me, MP3 or WAV files simultaneously. Oh, neat. So Digital. if you if you got a game, it just doesn't play a simple little tone. It plays beautiful orchestrated music, great sound effects, stuff like that. And um, we'll see how people might like it. Yeah, just like we had back in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing some 21st century stuff to the Cocoa, which actually fits in great with the theme for uh, Cocoa Fest this year, Fusion, adding new hardware to the old system. So my uh, first question on that new segment about why didn't Tandy do this, why didn't they include that with the Cocoa 3 when it came out? Yeah, right, right. Oh, man, that's one of the things I kept. We need a sound chip. We need a sound chip. Uh, no, you don't get a sound chip. You get a programmable interrupt because it was cheap to do. <laughs> Boise Pete, anything uh, exciting going on with you this week? CMOC. CMOC. There we go. We'll hear more about that later today. And what about you, Grant Lady? Anything cool going on with you and your dragon or your cocoa collection or your uh, quest for knowledge? Pretty much uh, rebuilding my uh, Windows machine here over the week and um, playing with the uh, Nitrous 09 Ease of Use project as well. 
Okay. And also got our table set up uh, ready too for Coco Fest. Nice. Thank you for that. Color computer uh, Coco Fest reservations. That's important. Good. Good. I got to do mine. <laughs> well, I think I've verbally said I'm going to be there. I have not electronically sent in any forms, but I'm on the website, so I guess they know I'm going to be there, but I guess I should send the paper, right? Uh, cool. cool. And cool. the check. And the check. Check, please. Check, please. Uh, David Ladd, what's going on with you this week? Anything cool and exciting? Oh, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> you know... Breaking even my own stuff like normal, but okay. um, you know, I break everything. Doesn't okay. I don't discriminate. <laughs> there you go. Equal off opportunity breaker. There you go. Well, he does break the stuff, but then he does eventually get around to fixing it. <laughs> good times, good times. What about you, Richard Lorbieski? Anything new this week on projects and? Oh no, no, just basically the same stuff. I'm just waiting for my stencil for the uh, joystick adapter uh, project. Uh, that should be coming in within a week or so, and after that, I'll be able to get those joysticks uh, shipped out. Very cool, very cool. Coco Man, present. <laughs> I get a present. Uh, it, it's been a pretty slow week. I, I haven't done much of anything. Uh, just uh, some stupid things with the sound pack cartridge. It would probably just annoy most people. So hey, man, well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> hopefully, if we have a cocoa dark, af a cocoa after dark tonight, we can do uh, hopefully a refined version of uh, a segment with the speech sound cartridge. <laughs> yes, tight, a tightened up, a tightened up segment there. We got to work on that. Well, uh, I've worked on some pre-programmed phrases and words, but it just just for fun. <laughs> the the, right. the the sound the sound part of that cartridge was really underused. I mean, that was essentially that you know, albeit it is a little bit of a bear to to work with compared to some chips, but that was a sound cartridge. It does do? Oh sound. yeah, yeah. Oh, if I used... knew Nick was going to be here, I would have I would have had some of my Australian licorice for the for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this, yeah, the sound chip that they use in the speech sound pack, essentially the same one they use in the Vectrex. Huh. Okay. Another 1609 game system. That that you don't hate, right? You don't hate that one, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I got one of those things, um, disassembled the operating system in there that was on the game cart that came with it, and... Uh, Kind of played around, did my own demonstration stuff with it, but it was uh, pretty efficient. It's just that uh, Milton Bradley, when they bought it, they destroyed it. Mm, okay. I'll go ahead and put that on the list of things that Steve Bjork does does not dislike. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. And Barry, we're going to hear a little bit more in depth about uh, one of your projects today. But what's been going on with you? We haven't had you on the show in a while. What's new with you in your world of retro hobbies and projects and things like that? Well, is that project that we'll be mentioning later that I've gotten some success at, at getting to work. Um, I had picked up all of my systems and moved to the mother-in-law's house for a while. Um, so you can imagine, you know, half a dozen retro computers being moved from one house and back to another house again. Well, <laughs> I can imagine that. <laughs> so, but um, I, I am now back at my normal domicile again and... Uh, Hacking away at stuff. So, very good. Well, it's nice to have you back on the show. Good to be here. Good to be here. 
All right, so real quick, before we take our first commercial break and get into our first segment, I, I want to just do um, uh, a little bit of... Um, uh, a little bit of our little feedback section. And I want to remind people or inform people of a, f of a few websites we have and a few ways people can contact us. So one of the things that I thought was pretty cool was this week we have reached uh, a little over 4,300 downloads. And it seems like only about a week ago we were somewhere like around you know, pushing 3,900 to 4,000 or something. And so the fact that we're close to 4,400 downloads uh, is pretty good. So people are also listening to the show, which is nice. Now, what I want to remind everybody about if you're enjoying the Coco Talk show is, you know, we have a website. That website is Coco Talk Live. And from the Coco Talk Live website, you can also, uh, from the website, you can send us email. So you can send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live if you want to give us feedback or provide a segment or maybe a suggestion for a show topic, uh, record a bumper or whatever else. So for all things Cocotalk related, uh, you can go to cocotalk.live. From cocotalk.live, you know, we have a Facebook page and the Facebook page is where we did our spontaneous Cocotalk After Dark, which I think we'll, we're gonna keep that show on Facebook, but we'll do replays later. So you might wanna subscribe to the Facebook channel. There's also a Twitter for it and an Instagram. Uh, it's cocotalk.live. Live. Coco Fan is asking where is that at, but the answer is CocoTalk.live. So it's HTTP colon slash slash CocoTalk.live, right? That's the website for all things uh, for all things CocoTalk. So uh, from here, you can also replay all the videos and all the podcasts. There's links to the audio versions of the podcast. Also want to remind you about our website, which is called I'm a Coconut, which is imacoconut.com. And for people who are new to the cocoa or getting back into cocoa or just want to find out what's going on in the world of the cocoa, we've got a website here that links to projects and blogs and downloads and uh, the community. So if you hear us talking about what happened in the Facebook group and you don't know how to get to the Facebook group, you can go to the communities page and here you'll find out about Tandy Assembly and the Cocoa, uh, cocoa Fest Facebook group. Coco on Facebook, MC10 on Facebook, one of Steve Bjork's favorite places, Coco Crew Podcast on Facebook, right? So there are just links to everything that you need to get there. Uh, another little side project that we put together that sometimes we forget that we put out there, but we created our own little version of the Rainbow Magazine where people could post their own articles and stories, and this is the Rainbow Online. So you might want to check that out, and this is where you can post in a, a little uh, article or whatever. And by the way, there is uh, everything is linked here as you can get to from imacoconut.com. Also, a little while ago, we even put together a forum because uh, the, the, the discussion came up. It would be nice to have places to stick things and share things where they're easy to find and they don't get lost. So we created a Tandy Forum dot org in case anybody's like hey uh you know where uh you know let's talk technical and let's post something that you know it, it was brought up it's hard to find things on facebook sometimes so we've got a handful of websites that have been created as community resources for the people out there and i don't uh, often plug them that often or you know mention them so i thought it'd be a good time just to remind people and the easiest thing to remember is this just go to ima coconut.com and links to everything is there so if you're trying to figure stuff out where do i go what's out there how do i get to it that's all you got to know about that so we're going to take a commercial we'll be back in just a minute and on with the program everybody author of nitrous nine you are listening to coco talk live the leading live coco talk show 
it, you might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and cocoa nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy Color Computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. There we go. And there was the commercial for all for the I'm a coconut.com. What's going on here in the in the live chat here? We got some people over here in the live chat. Let's make sure I'm not missing anybody. Uh, so uh, what is going on here? Coco. Uh, Coco fan thinks we're talking about Coco the movie. Uh, we are not talking about Coco the movie. Uh, Coco Love is CMOC one of the characters. <laughs> and by the way, just feel free to drop stuff all over the place. Atari Hotel is here. Atari says, I just got my first Coco yesterday, a Coco 2. Well, that's good to hear, Atari. Um, okay, so is this a running gag about the Coco thing, or does Coco fan actually think that this is the show about the Coco? I'm not sure. We'll have to find out. Uh, and Norlander, Coco fan, we're talking about the candy, the Tandy color computer. All right, so Coco fan, we don't know if you're a fan of Coco the show, if you're a fan of the Coco, but you're here on Coco Talk, and this has nothing to do with piss piss me disney or pixar or pixney or pissney or piss on me i don't know but yeah we have nothing to do with that animated show so well there goes the family <laughs> wow that just went the whole show yeah, there we go so now coco fan actually does say coco sorry fan I, is 12. <laughs> pixar I these things not the movie yeah pixar disney you know you pick you pick pixar disney damn disney, disney. <laughs> Coco we, fan, we've been using the name Coco for about 30 years. Yes, yes, yes. Can, yes, can we so. sue Disney? We probably should. <laughs> Anyways, let's get, let's get our Well, pre- they've got deep pockets. We could get a lot of money. <laughs> hey, there we go. We All get right. paid finally. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to our topic of the day. We're going to talk about compilers and and i'm the least qualified to talk about this because i don't i don't i haven't done anything compilation wise on the coco but we have some really smart people here on the program so uh one of the things that's come up on facebook lately has been the cmock compiler and uh and the progress it's making and how it's looking like it's making its way to os9 i'm assuming it hasn't been an os9 product previously and so uh, that's about as much as I know about C. I know C is a programming language. I've never used it, but it's been around a while. Did, did, didn't did Microware have its own C compiler at one point in time? Yes. They did. So there was a C compiler in the past, or maybe it's still, I'm assuming several. it still exists. Several. several. For the Coco even, right? So C compilers yeah, right. for several the Several for uh, Disk Basic and for OS9. Okay. But the, the particular one that's called CMock, this is Pear Sarazin that's been working on this. 
and I and I've been hearing about it for a couple of years on, on the Coco Crew podcast. He calls it a C-like compiler, I guess, because it's mostly C, but maybe not completely C. But I know it's continu- it continues to evolve and have new features added to it. Uh, that's about as much as I know about this, but we're going to talk about it today. So, who else wants to lead in with this before we l- let Boise um, talk about what he's been doing with it? Curtis, anything you want to add to that? I haven't had a chance to much look at it either, so I was kind of hoping Bill Noble, who actually has fiddled with a little bit, was going to be on the show today, but I guess he's busy. So, uh, no, I don't have anything to contribute. I'm actually looking forward to what Boise's going to mention as well. Okay. I got a newbie question. All right, well, we're, so, we'll save that so, for... An, oh, is this um, about C? It's about the compiler. Okay, there you go. All right. All right, so um, <clears throat> you turn your computer on, and how do you get started? Uh, a compiler is a program you load in, and then you have to know the language, and you start programming. And then at the end, you do something with it in order to get your program. How does it work? <clears throat> is that basically it? or? <laughs> Well, maybe we'll let go ahead and let Boise run with this, and he'll tell us about what he's doing with it right now. Yeah, I guess. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, yeah, Ron, I, I guess I can. You, you sort of summed it up in a very, in a very summarized way, but that's essentially <laughs> what happens. So, CMOC is a compiler that Pierre Sarazan from Montreal has been working on for a while. I'll be honest with you; I have not used it uh, very long, but I, my focus is OS nine. I think Pierre started out. Uh, targeting the Vetrix and targeting Disk Basic. So this is kind of a new thing because, as I recall, back in the day, maybe there was a Disk Basic compi- a C compiler. I don't know, Curtis. You mentioned there was one. D- Duggar's Growing Systems is one I can think of off the top of my head. I actually had a copy of that one. And it actually targeted. You could write programs that ran under Disk Basic. It targeted yep. the Basic. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, a couple uh, of them. Okay, so yeah, they're obviously though they're no longer being uh, maintained, and the C language has changed quite a bit in terms of the standards from those days. So my motivation for this is to uh, bring OS nine support so that the CMOC compiler can make and compile OS nine executables. Up to this point, we have only been able to rely on the Microware C compiler, which came. Uh, I guess was sold in the 80s, early 80s. Again, uh, limited because it only parsed and understood what's called K&R, or Kernigan and Ritchie, formatted C source code. Now new compilers, C compilers today have moved on to ANSI 99 and and newer standards. So all of that has changed. The code is, uh, it's more bulletproof, I guess you could say, when you write code. It's it's intended to make uh, errors and things easier to catch. But we don't benefit from that in the Cocoa community because we don't have a modern C compiler. So CMOC gives you the modernness. It also gives you the ability to cross-host or cross-compile, which is huge. And that simply means instead of actually compiling, using the C compiler on the Cocoa itself, which frankly is dog slow, you can compile on your Mac or your PC. I compile on my Mac, and it's just super fast. So the, the, the turnaround time, right? the edit, compile, debug cycle that we all do when we develop software is much, much faster. So we can iterate many, many times over the same amount of time and get to a, a, a code that works. Okay. Very cool. 
And so the C language has obviously been around for a long time. If it's been around, uh, you know, if microwave was making it for the cocoa in the 80s. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, very cool. And, and yeah, it came and, out with uh, Unix in the 70s, if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. I remember maybe it was two years ago when Lee Patterson started making Bouncy Ball. I believe he was making it in C. Uh, got some things working and determined that for, you know, gameplay and smoothness that there were certain things. And that's why I think when Simon Jonasson jumped in and helped him do some uh, assembly to speed up some graphics and sound routines. But I think Lee had started using C because it was a language he was familiar with. Um, yep. Cool stuff. And I remember you putting a picture on Facebook of uh, the maze demo where it was kind of like a, a, a thing written in C where it would generate a maze and then try to solve its own maze and everything else. That's right, yeah. So that's a, a traditional old C program that has been around for a while. And the other thing about C is that in the OS9 community, there's lots and lots of C source code out there from applications that were written to be compiled by the microwave C compiler that we can't compile and improve on anymore, at least not in a cross-hosted way. So all of that source code can now be sort of brought into the current, compiled with CMOC, and then rerun on the Cocoa. And, and even now with a, with a C compiler like CMOC, where there's modern development, there's emphasis on making it faster and better and the optimizer better, we can work on making it generate better code so that the executables can be faster and smaller, something we can't easily do with the old microwave C compiler. Okay. Okay, I got another question. <clears throat> when you import some of this older stuff, mm -hmm. do you get to see notes from the... Um, people that created the program and are there ever any interesting funny notes that are left you mean comments ron yeah like someone leaves comments um i don't know if anybody if, if i've seen anything in particular humorous but you know it, it depends on the programmer sometimes there's a lot of documentation sometimes it's very terse and the code speaks for itself okay now on the c that we're doing here we're just talking about about standard original C, not the C++ that's used today in modern object-oriented coding. That's correct, Steve. The, uh, this, what's interesting about CMOC, it is C, it's not C++, but what's really cool about it, which I like, is that unlike the OS9 C compiler, which had its own preprocessor, CMOC uses the preprocessor on your computer. So I need to explain that real quick for some of the people who aren't C programmers. When you take a C source code file, there's a process by which it has to be parsed. It has to be basically legitimized to say this is a proper and correct C file. That's done usually by the preprocessor. The preprocessor goes through, marks some things up, and gets, gets it prepared for processing. So that was always a piece that was made available by the compiler technology at the time. Microware had their own C preprocessor. But on modern computers like the Mac, like PCs that have development tools and like Linux, the C compilers are already there. So the tools, especially the, the preprocessor, is already installed. So what CMOC does is it uses the preprocessor, the C preprocessor on the Mac or on the PC or on Linux and does the preprocessing. And then, of course, it brings in its own 6809 code generator to take that preprocessed C source code and turn it into a program. And there's a lot of stuff down the line that has to be done like library support. That's what I'm working on right now specifically, but that's that's generally uh, how CMOC works. So that's that's a pretty nice feature. Uh, I, I have a question now too. 
I have a question too. Like uh, you were mentioning, like this, the original uh, microcompiler was the K and R, Kernan and Ritchie C, and then of course you know ANSI came out, and ANSI had multiple levels of standards from like the eighty nine and ninety eight, et cetera. What mm-hmm. level is CMOC at? Is it kind of a hybrid of some or? I haven't really probed it that much. Pierre would be the better person to answer that question. But everything that I've thrown about at it that I use in conventional C, and I really don't program in C much anymore. I don't know if anybody else does. But uh, one of the things that I that I notice is, for instance, and Curtis, you might remember this. In the old microware C compiler, <clears throat> whenever you declared a function, you didn't have to put a return type. You could just put the function name, open close parentheses, or you could put parameters, just the names of the parameters, and then below that you would actually uh, enumerate the types to say int A, int B, int C. That stuff is no longer, uh, that's okay in our style. So the new style, of course, is you have to put a return type, you put a function name, and in line with the parameter names, you put the types. All of that works with the current C compiler. So it feels a lot more like what C would feel today than what it did back in the, in the early 80s. Oh, cool. So obviously it does have a fair bit of the... Yeah, absolutely. Modern ANSI standards. Right. And so, you know, basic constructs, if-then-else loops, conditionals, all that stuff seems to work just fine. Prototyping and header files, you know, all the stuff that you come to expect from a well-rounded C compiler seems to be there. So Now, he's he, obviously, it's, it's still going to support doing disk-extended stuff as well. Is there yeah. any sort of conditional flags where you can say, I want this particular program to output for OS 9, <clears> and then I want to make an RS-DOS version at the same time? Yeah. So you can put a dash dash OS9 on the CMOC command line that will basically put it in OS9 mode. Uh, it would be great to eventually get to a point where with, I would say, simple C programs, you could retarget it automatically for OS9 or disk basic. We can get into that later, but there's some complications around the library and certain yeah, things. API that, calls, et cetera. Yeah, right? Exactly, right. So it's not going to be that easy for every program. I wonder if you can use the existing OS9 libraries from the microware compiler or, or at least look at them. Um, you, you, you can't use the libraries because the library... <clears throat> so CMOC generates assembly code, but the assembly code that it generates is assembled by uh, William Astle's LW tools, and he's got a full assembler and linker, and that is not the same format. The, the, the relocatable object file format, the resulting binary that the assembler puts out, it's not the same physical format. So you can't go and take <clears throat> library files that were generated by the microware C compiler and expect them to be linkable to this. It won't work. But the standard library that, that I'm working on, the source code is there. And so all I'm doing is basically massaging the source code so it would be assembled by LWASM and linked to LWLink to create the library that CMOC uh, execute or CMOC uh, relocatable object files would link to. And are you basing this on Micro's original ones, or are you basing it on some of the ones that call Crider and some of the extensions? Crider, yeah. I, okay, and, I, and I don't have Crider's original C source, uh, C, I don't have a Crider's original library in source format, because a lot of those library routines were written in assembly. It look, what I do have is I have a disassembly of Crider's libraries. Looks like someone disassembled them and just basically left them uncommented. So I'm kind of going through, bringing them in. As I bring them in, I, I comment the assemblies, figure out what's going on and kind of bring a little bit of documentation to it that way. The header files that I've got are from the Crider library as well, but I'm kind of redoing those because, again, because CMOC is so new and it uses a, a newer version of C, all of the old header files, even in the Crider C library, lack things like return types whenever they declare a function. No, I'm sorry, not return types, parameter types, parameters and parameter types. So, for instance, 
there's a function in C called um, str copy, S-T-R-C-P-Y, that copies a string. Returns, I think, a, a care store. If you declare that in a header file, you typically see the return type, the function name, and all of the parameters listed along with the types of those parameters. In the Crider header file, it's just the return type, the function name, open and close parentheses, and a semicolon, that's it. So the CMOC compiler complains about that. It wants a full-fledged header file with proper prototypes. So there's going to be work to take some of this old OS9 source code and sort of bring it in to what a modern C compiler expects. But the benefit of that is that your source code is cleaner, it looks better, it's made to be specific, it's, it's obviously self-documented at that point. You're not wondering what the parameters are for this function. It's a very clean and easy way to do it. So we can, we can take older source code, bring it to a modern uh, level, and enjoy the benefit of that, and then, of course, improve upon it. Okay. Is that pretty intense work? Does it kind of drive you buggy after a while? It's a, it's a, I would say, Ron, it's a lot of, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's just repetitive, a lot of repetitive work. Yeah. Right? There's, you know, 40 or 50 something source files in the library, if not more. Each of them have to be moved over. Each of them have to be looked over. Uh, there have to be unit tests. If you want to do this right, the way that you do when you build a library is you want to build unit tests. Unit tests are basically small little programs in C that exercise the library functions. Passing in different parameters, making sure that the return values are sane, basically making sure that the library works. Because if you if you put this out too quick, uh, what happens is all the executables that you generate carry that library code with it. In other words, when you build a C program, that's your code plus all the library code self-contained into one big blob. And if your library has bugs in it, then those bugs get carried around to those executables as you pass them to other people to use. So I would say the C compiler or the OS9 support for the CMOC C compiler is very much in a alpha beta state. It's certainly not ready for people to start building apps and throwing them out to the world. So we have to kind of be uh, cautious about how we do that until we are sure that the library is pretty solid. Uh, so, so you're not using the Microsoft release model? Uh, is that I don't know what you mean. Is that a joke? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Microsoft yeah, <laughs> basically saying Microsoft, Microsoft doesn't test Microsoft anything. Takes, yeah, Microsoft <laughs> takes its beta code and throws it. Here you go. Oh, oh there's bugs well, in it. Well, thank you for reporting <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not going to criticize Microsoft. I guess you know, yeah, it, we're not. We're probably not being as uh, judicious as say a formal software house would be. We're trying to add some a bit of quality control to make sure that we don't just uh, put something out there. So. Yeah. But that that being said, uh, I'm at the point where, getting back to your question, Ron, about the, the, the type of work it is and whether it's tedious or not or how tedious it is, I'm certainly ready for some people to come and help. And I think uh, there's the guy on uh, the the, the uh, Discord, I think his name is Mike. I don't. He's a ham radio guy. I don't know his last name, but he actually started to do some work, I think, last couple of days. And then Bill Noble... I know Bill's been playing with it, Curtis. I don't know if he actually yeah. has made any changes yet, but the more we can get people involved, uh, the quicker the, the library will spin up to a point where it can be utilized and, and released. <clears throat> okay, I was kind of late to the party. Um, I, mean, I missed part of your presentation, but does is there any optimization for the 6309 processor, or is it just 6809 for right now? 
It's just 6809 for right now. Uh, I'm sure Pierre would put in 6309 optimization. Obviously, it's something we, we would like to have. Uh, I think you have to kind of be careful because, again, when you start distributing the byproducts of the compiler, there has to be a way to make sure you don't give a 6309 compiled uh, object file out to the world and then people who don't have a 6309 uh, crash on it. Curtis, I know there's some ways in, in OS 9 or Nitrous 9 maybe to avoid that. I think that you guys had uh, reserved uh, one of the, the type. Yeah, bytes. well, there's a there's a bit flag in the header. I just got to change <laughs> shell and G shell to be smart enough to actually check it. Because um, right now it just blindly runs them anyway. But you can identify one by doing an ident and it'll tell you. So the other cool thing about CMOC, Barry, is that you can pull the source code down and build it. I mean, it is, it's modern, right? The whole problem with the microSC compiler is that it's opaque. It's old. It's it's in 6009 source code. You can't easily change it without disassembling. And there are some disassemblies out there of this microSC compiler, but that's like a huge, huge, massive assembly code. It's just not easy and malleable to change. With this as a standard product that we can download, build on our machines with a modern C compiler, and then generate modern code or generate code from modern source. You know, the sky is the limit. This is kind of where we really wanted to be years ago, but finally in the in the Cocoa community now, we, we have that ability. So that's cool. Or we'll get that ability. So are you doing this on a Mac or a PC? I'm doing, I'm a Mac uh, guy, Ron, so I do everything mm -hmm. on a Mac. But it's all Unix-based uh, Unix and, and a lot of Unix-y commands. So if you wanted to do, if you wanted to do software development or CMOC, I'd say CMOC library development. I'm not sure how, I guess you could use LW tools on Windows. I think you can use it maybe with SigWin, but uh, you probably would be easier getting it spun up on a Mac or a Linux box. Once uh, the library's done though, I think you can run CMOC anywhere. I, I'm sure that there's a Windows version. I just don't don't use it, so. Are you anywhere like on SourceForge or anything? CMOC is not in a repository, and, and oh. you know I, I wish Pierre were here because he could answer a lot more of these questions since he's the author. But the OS nine library that I uh, that I'm that I'm making, I guess you could say, from the starting from the Crider C libraries, that is on GitHub and freely available for people to download, improve upon, help do the work that needs to be done to finish it. Yeah. Okay. I would think uh, Segwin will, pro will probably work reasonably well. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it will, Barry. I, I've used it one time years ago, and I'm sure it's even gotten better. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. So, Thanks yeah, for it, doing it, all this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Enjoy. It even emulates the paths like it's on a, uh, it, it hides the drive letters and stuff and emulates the paths on a, uh, on a Windows system. So it'll probably just, it'll probably just work. The, the other thing, too, is that uh, to, to, this, there's some interesting things about the way CMOC works and emits code for the Cocoa. So we have the disk basic, right, the basic environment, which is not a, it's sort of an operating system, I guess you could say, but certainly not an operating system in the sense that OS 9 is. So OS 9 needs all of these additional libraries for things like the opening and closing files, doing floating point math, things like that. What, uh, what Pierre has done with CMOC is if you target uh, Disk Basic or the Cocoa without OS 9, for instance, floating point math, he, doesn't, he just borrows the routines inside the basic ROM to do the floating point math. He doesn't actually have his own floating point math routines uh, 
in the in the library. On the other hand, for OS nine, we need to bring all that in. That's part of the Crider library. Uh, I'm finding that there's a little bit of difference the way that the uh, floating point, the calling conventions for doing floating point adds and subtracts and things like that are done. And there were some really interesting things that the microware C compiler done with has done with floating point that uh, Pierre's not doing that I think it frankly was inefficient from microware's point of view, but probably quicker for them to get the compiler up. All of those things are going to have to be dealt with. Floating point is going to be a bit of a bear to deal with. But uh, that's mm -hmm. why CMOC can get sort of up to speed so quick on basic because they can use the basic ROM calls to do some of the things that are, you know, that are not in OS 9. Yeah. Well, those would be more restrictive, too, because the, the, the basic ROM has got the, what is it, a five-byte floating point format? While yeah. CMOC and OS 9 will have both the regular float and the doubles. That's right. That's and I think correct. that's where you mentioned the inefficiencies because it converts everything to a double, then does the math routine, and then converts it back. Yeah, you're exactly right. That is just crazy. So what when you write a compiler, what, what, what I guess what uh, I would do when I write a compiler and what Pierre has done is he identifies every possible type, float, double, int, and he has a function that he calls to add a float and a float or add a float and a double or add a float and an int or add an int and a, and a double or do a subtract. So every operation has its own set of these functions. And so you get this whole list of functions that need to be written to handle all of these different operations for these different types. So in C, there is something called type promotion where you, if you want to add an int and a float, you, you promote the int, which on a Cocoa is two bytes, to a float, which is four bytes in a totally different format, do the add, and then depending on what the recipient is, the uh, the L value is, if it's a float, you just bring it to that. If it's sent, you downcast. But microware's compiler and library, Curtis, and you saw that, it's just, yeah. they, convert, they convert everything to double, which is like eight bytes. Do the math and then convert it back. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, mm -hmm. the only reason, I was trying to think of why in the heck microware has done, the only thing I could think of is that when they did the original C compiler, that was for a straight 64K, no MMU, Cocoa mm -hmm. 1 level machine. And they probably didn't have enough RAM to make all the specialized routines to add a float and a exactly. double and a float and an int. Exactly so they probably just was, made I, one I, general set. I was just thinking that myself is because you don't have to do all the separate routines. You just have one routine for add, one routine for multiply. So, right. so it saves memory, but it would slow the additions well, and stuff way down. As you know, well, as you know, Curtis, some of you might not know, depending on how you construct these assembly files that do these routines, Depending on what you use in your C program, it will only pull in from the library the types of additions and subtractions and operations you need. It won't bring everything in all at once, right? Because you break things down in separate source files, you compile your library, bring, bring it together in one piece, it pulls out just those sections that it needs to do, to do those things. So you could still get some memory efficiency, but you would certainly get some speed and code efficiency if you took the time to have all of those different math operations done with those different types. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just thinking, you know, what you could do maybe for some of the math operations for CMOC to make it consistent across Disk Basic and OS Nine. It is possible if you temporarily disable the interrupt when you call the uh, the library routine. You could little, write a little wrapper that disables the interrupt, calls the library routine from the ROM, and then re-enables the interrupt on return. You could do that, but AOS 9 is a real-time operating system, fairly deterministic, and you would shut off interrupts, which most of us don't care because we don't run it in that way. But um, another problem is that there's OS 9 running on, on uh, the Liberate 09. There's OS 9 running on some other computers that don't have those ROMs. 
So we really need to, to, to do this right. We need to pull in that floating point support and not presume that there would be a ROM uh, there. But you certainly could do that if you wanted to cheat. Yes. Yeah. And the other issue with that is, is that the floating point uh, format that Microsoft use is not a right. C compatible one. So you'd be adding an extra type, an extra reel, and having yeah. to convert between that's that for any regular C program. That's true. Which I'm guessing it already does that, but yeah, I, yeah, the biggest objection I can hear there is that uh, you wouldn't run on other OS nine systems like Libreo nine, etc. Yeah, right. as far as the interrupts are concerned, there's lots of stuff in OS nine that temporarily shuts off the interrupt and then turns it back on. So right, but you, you and also I think in level two you would have to map the basic ROMs in a different way that you do it on level one on a Cocoa one or two. So it, it would just be a mess to do it that way. Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard. Actually, you could map it. I'm not doing the same that. Right. Right. I will not support Barry, it. sounds like you're volunteering. <laughs> so oh, I, I have, got one, one I just don't think question. it's a good way to do it. It's I an mean. interesting cut. Oh, yeah, well, that's fine. I, and I see your point. So it's just a, a, an interesting thought that I came up with. But, okay. yeah, you bring up some valid points. Uh, go ahead. Has, Richard yeah, has a question. Yeah, someone go post ahead. up a link to, is it a GitHub project or uh, uh, on GitHub or somewhere else a link to where we can... Uh, see more information about this? Uh, if you go to, and I, I'll type it here in the chat, I know the people who are watching will get the benefit, but if you go to github.com slash B-O-I-S-Y, that's my first name, it'll show all of the various GitHub repositories that are under my name, and the name of the repository is cmock underscore OS9. And that is, that is not cmock, I want you to understand that it's just the attempt to get a library the library support that is the library, the header files for OS 9 on CMOC. CMOC itself is, uh, you'll have to Google it. It's a fairly long URL. Pierre has it uh, on one of his pages. But if you, if you Google CMOC compiler or CMOC C compiler, you'll, you'll find it. It'll, it'll come up. Okay. I don't think I have that on I'm a Coconut. So when we find that, I'll have to add it there. Um, so I do have a dumb question because I've never used C or the original CMOC. I'm assuming the original CMOC was written for RS-DOS, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And so now what you're doing, is it technically kind of going to be like a fork of CMOC or if you start coming up with improvements, will some of those improvements that are not OS9 library dependent make their way back to the RS-DOS version of the compiler? It's interesting. That's a good question. I think it's safe to say that we are not going to need to modify the compiler itself. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Not, not modify, not fork. The, the, the beauty of C is that what the compiler does is it takes the source code and it translates that to 6809 assembly language, which sets the common barrier or the common uh, set between the operating system OS 9 and the, the disk basic environment, right? The barrier is the calls to do things like printing to the screen or reading from disk, but those are handled later on in the compiler process as, was, as what's called the linker phase. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking that, that code that happens at the very end and I'm making it available for CMOC to link to. So you don't have to have a separate compiler. Basically, you're just extending uh, okay, the, the, okay. the phase at the very end to adapt to a different operating system. So for instance, Red uh, Gordon wanted to have a standard C library for Fusix or Fusix. Mm -hmm. He could do that, and CMOC wouldn't have to change. The okay. thing that CMOC does do is that it, it creates what's called position-independent code, which is mandatory for OS9 to run code that's generated by any compiler. 
but that works fine in this basic as well. So because uh, Pierre had the foresight to create a compiler that did generate position-independent code, uh, everything works fine. So, okay. All right. Does that make sense, Steve? I think so. Let me just see if I can paraphrase that to my own sim my own simple words. So I'm going to yep. use kind of like an Ed Tasm analogy. So part of the CMOC is the editor, um, and and that part isn't going to change. But more like on the compiler side, when you're building the runtime libraries, that part is going to be amended for OS nine because it's got to bring in more middleware to create the OS nine binary versus the RS DOS binary. Yeah, yeah, I would just use the word uh, assembler instead of editor in your statement. Assembler, okay, okay, all right. Does the ease of use fit anywhere? <laughs> well, everything we compile, everything we compile will run on OS nine, which, as we all know, contains ease of use. So, <laughs> hey, well, Boise, I, what's it like uh, having a conversation with your wife when she asks you, uh, oh, "What'd you do today, hon?" <laughs> <laughs> Just we just like talk about other, Ron. Ron we, we just talk about other things, buddy. Yeah, because <laughs> my wife comes home and she's a I don't even try. I don't even try. Alzheimer's research, right? Do you, you have the same DNA and RNA and all this stuff? Uh -huh. You know, and my eyes kind of glass over and I kind of <laughs> smiling. You know, uh huh. Cool. Yeah. I see, Ron. I would just say I forget, and then you can become a case study for her. <laughs> 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 We use the Ronald Reagan. I don't recall. I don't recall. Well, that's cool. That's really, really cool. It sounds like it's a neat project, and it sounds like it's going to, um, you know, it's going to provide some added benefits to the people who who like to develop uh, in C. And, and for anybody that wants to develop a program that runs under both this basic and under OS nine, this would probably be the easiest way to do it because a lot of yeah. the stuff will be common. You'll have to do some different library pull-ins, like like Boise's mentioning, but. It would be a lot easier than trying to convert, say, disk basic to basic 09 or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Or the other thing, and faster. Yeah. And the other thing, Ron, you asked about the ease of use project. Uh, so I know a little bit about that, even though I don't think OS 9 needs any ease of use, but that's my opinion. <laughs> um, is that the ease of use project, from what I've seen uh, screenshots of, that uses multi-view and G-Shell. Curtis and I were having a talk about this the other night. There are the, the programs that come with MultiView, like GCalc and GCal and those types of things, were written in C, although we don't have the source code for those. Uh, if it, those could be, so, with some work, could be easily replicated and, again, further improve and compile with CMOC and just fold those improvements would fold right into new versions of that product and uh, would just be. You know, it would just get better and better. So that's that's right. what yeah. I And I'd like yeah. to see that because some of those things need some fixes. They can have some additions. Absolutely. And if CMOC's a more efficient yeah. compiler, you can actually make the programs as small with extra functionality. That's right. So there is no ease of use without G-Shell, basically. For, for, well, for no, it depends, it depends uh, on your, your definition of ease yeah. of use. I mean, some people not, find not, command not line easy to use. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's relative. Right. It's like right. some people think the Mac's easy to use and Windows is hard or vice versa. Right, right, right. Well, it's it's GUI syndrome, right? Or so not. so <laughs> did I explain all of this uh, in a way that makes sense for everybody to understand? I want to make sure that I didn't uh, go over. I didn't understand after you said, my name is Boise. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, could you start over, please? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, uh, poor. You know, Ron is just really dependent more on pitchers than you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because he likes GUI interfaces. <laughs> now, I, well, I I follow. Even though I have never seen or you see, I believe I followed you, Boise. So I think I'm a barometer for the thick-headed. Uh, <laughs> you don't look uh, like a barometer. <laughs> who, who needs it right no i think that's cool um i mean obviously cmoc's not for a casual <laughs> user to pick up you always playing games it's for a programmer right. but it's a it's a it's a good tool in the toolbox for people that want to program under yeah. either or mm-hmm. and if i can if i can plug my coco fest call for papers idea go ahead the paper i'm working on is Kind of how can we take all of these great tools that we have and make them so that it's easy to spin them up? Because right now, if you want to use CMOP, you have to go grab the source code, run the configure script, run make, run make install. You know, who is going to do that if they just want to sit there and spin up a quick program and play with it? So one of the things in the community that we could use and that I think CMOP will eventually get to is that... You have an easy way to install it for the particular platform that you want to run it on, whether it's Mac or Windows and Linux. And then how quickly can we get the steps or can, how much can we minimize the steps and, so to get you quickly up and running so you can have a, a, a C-compiled application running in an emulator like in under five minutes. That'd and and Boise, you just explained exactly why we're doing the Ease of Use OS 9 project. Because it's to get people to get running OS nine and be able to launch yeah. programs without having to learn command line, and you have to set the data path to this, and blah blah blah. Yeah. It's the yeah. exact same situation. Maybe it's ease of development is what I'm explaining. Yeah. but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, plug and play, right? So hit hit the ground running. Yeah. Well, basically, know, you're you're just trying to make sure your tools don't get in the way right. of you developing right. great projects. Now you know. Sorry, Barry, go ahead. Was that you? I was just going to say, I know that there's some good uh, open source and available packages out there for Windows to create installers. So if somebody takes a, a released copy of uh, CMOC and builds it, then you should be able to take one of those uh, packages and then create an MSI file for Windows to, to install it along with yeah. any requisites it takes. And for Mac, I've taken several programs and uh, created uh, .app packages or that PKG files to uh, to just you know you run it and it loads it and installs it. That's well, the same thing I'm trying to do with uh, DriveWire Mac server, right? Make it so that you can just download it, start running. You still have to know what a disk image is. You still have to know uh, have HTTP DOS or something on your Cocoa. But it, the the more we can get that those steps down and make it easier for people to use it, the, the quicker that we'll get adoption. I've I've got a, a, a DriveWire Mac server that's in a .app package. Um, I, I ended up using 4.3.2 because I actually had problems with 4.3.3 and later on the Mac with the Java that's on most Macs. But I do have one, and I just need a place to host it probably. But You mean you have one that you built? Yep. It's a .app. Um, it's a, it creates an icon. You just double-click on the icon. It starts DriveWire. But it starts DriveWire for Java, or do you wrote your own DriveWire server for the Mac? It, it's it's a wrapper around the existing DriveWire. That's a Java DriveWire, and oh. it, it and it launches it, and it's packaged in a .dot app. Gotcha. So, and you're running this. This is the latest version of DriveWire four. You said? Uh, no, it's four three two. 
All right. I found that one to be more compatible with the Mac because of the version of Java yeah. that the Mac yeah. runs. Yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's the idea, right? We want to get the tools in a way that uh, they can just be easy to download and spin up. So hopefully we'll get there. Sounds good. Sounds good. So do you think like 2019 we'll get a bunch of games applications coming out of uh, your work? Well, I think this year we're going to have, by the Cocoa Fest, Ron, I plan on having the library pretty much done, and I'm hoping the floating point is there, too. Uh, so, I mean, right now you can start writing programs. You, the floating point doesn't work, but everything else is coming together. So if you want to start writing a program in C, you can do it right now. So there's no reason why people can't start using it. I just wouldn't distribute applications with it just yet because the libraries are going to change and improve and even the compiler is going to get better and put out more optimized code. So there'll be, you know, I can see a situation where you'll have a lot of source code in C and then a new version of the compiler comes out and you want to compile all that stuff again so you can maybe save, you know, 2%, 3% on size or something like that and enjoy that benefit. You're on mute, uh, Curtis. I was going to say, you know, also you could get, other than just getting the size reduced, if a new version of the compiler comes out, you can also get more optimized code so your, your game program might run that's a little right. faster. Right. Just from a recompile. You see, that's what's cool about C, right? Is that if you write your game in assembly, well, you can optimize down to a certain point. But there's more opportunities, I think, in the C world to do that because C already kind of adds a little bit of weight when you, when you write a program, right? The same exact functional program in C is going to be larger than it is in assembly. So there's plenty of opportunity for finding optimization techniques and, uh, you know, shrinking things down. So it'll just get better and better. I just love that process of, of iterative improvement. Hmm. Yeah. It's the reason we did Nitrous 9 in the first place is because we were constantly improving your system calls and your graphic functions. So you could take yep. the exact same program you wrote a year ago, run it under a new version of the Austin runs faster, and you didn't have to change a damn thing. That's right. That's cool. Well, that's cool. And you know what? And honestly, it's been a while since we've had some uh, meat on the show with, um, you know, something, you know, meaty and technical like this. And I've actually enjoyed it, even though I'm not a highly technical person. I, I, I realize there are a lot of different people who have different views and interests. And I enjoyed this segment so far. And it was a nice it was a nice change of pace to be uh, somewhat serious yeah. and somewhat legitimate after after a little while. <laughs> Uh, thanks for adding some, thanks for adding some nobody, legitimacy to us. So, yeah. But nobody's told us what CMOC -C stands for. You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, uh, who knows? You'll have to ask Pierre. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it'd be good to get him on. All right, well, I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back. We can continue to talk about CMOC if we want to, or we want to move on to a few other topics. I know Barry wants to talk about his project, and if more questions come up, we can bounce back and forth. I'm, I'm open to all this. All right, so hopefully my bumpers and commercials are queued up properly now, so this next segue might be a little smoother. We'll, we'll find out here in just a second. And thank you, Boise, very much. Yeah. Yeah, thank thanks, you. Boise. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. 
Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we've put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. All right, and we're back. And we, we've got 24 people watching us live right now, which is pretty good. Alan Huffman's in the live chat. I'm not sure if Alan's going to join us on the call. Sounds like we've got a waterfall in the background right now, too. That's good. Curtis Boyle's here. Nick Marota is here. Hey, Nick. Ken. Ken Make It is here. Solstice is here. Um, David Ladd is here. Tim Franklin is here. Coco Love has been here. Coco Love says Boise is awesome. Thanks, Boise. Um, who else was here? Grant Leedy is here. Retro Innovations is here. And uh, Davey Mitchell is here. I do have something to show off from Davey today when we get to the, new, to the news segment. Tom C. is here. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for being here in the live chat. And it seems like the... Um, there was a lot of sidebar conversations going on on compilers and language and stuff while while Boise was talking, and I can't even pretend to either comprehend or keep up with them. But yeah, there was a lot of people talking about how they enjoyed C and comparing C to Fortran and Cas and Pascal and things like that. So yeah, so the uh, language and compiler talk uh, was a hit today. So that was cool. And um, we just saw a commercial from from uh, Bruce Moore and Forest of Doom. I'm not sure if Bruce will be joining us today, but Bruce has been dabbling with a couple of other compilers for... Uh to learn from some of his um, experiences. And so if we don't get him on today, hopefully we can talk about that uh, again. Uh, so how was that, everybody? Everybody get a good uh, good amount of information from Boise there and CMOC? Mm -hmm. Thank you, awesome. Boise. Yep. Yes. Boy, yeah. Thank you. Very, yeah, very thanks, cool. Thanks, Boise. Thank you. And, and um, uh, I know Barry wanted to update us on a project that he was working on, too. So, uh, Barry, if you want to go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about your um, project and also make sure you give the proper disclaimer with this as well. <laughs> I disclaim everything. <laughs> so especially since this thing is still uh, heavily under development at this point, although I think I've got it working. Um, I've dumped several ROMs with it. Um, what it is, is it's a, uh, the pro pro program is called dumprom.bass and I'm releasing it under the uh, GPL and it'll be uh, probably eventually included with the utility disk for the uh, Coco Flash, although it can be used independently. If you don't have a Coco Flash, you can still use it to dump ROMs out. And what it does is it will dump out a variety of different types of ROMs. So it'll dump out 
anything from a 2K ROM uh, to a 32K ROM all the way up to the page 64 and 128K ROMs. Um, it Since it's reading it in the color computer, it doesn't dump the last 256 bytes at uh, FF0 to FFFF, which is the IO page and the uh, vectors, because those are basically, they overwrite any ROM that's there, but it doesn't really matter because when the co when the computer uses the ROM, it doesn't use those that, that last 256 bytes anyway. So um, it requires a color computer one, two, or three, and a multi-pack interface. And it dumps the ROMs out to disk. And if you edit one line in a little basic program, you could get it to, to run without a disk interface and dump it to tape. It would also work with uh, DriveWire and dump it to a DriveWire disk. Does so, it work with the mini multi-pack that Ed Snyder does, the two-slot? It uh, it should work with uh, with any multi-pack that uses the uh, register at FF7F to select the slot and follows the general pattern of, uh, of the Tandy multi-pack. So, yeah, it should work with that. Okay. So, I thought it was a nice little utility. Um, what was the have? extension of the name of your... It's a basic program, and it has... Oh, it BAS? Uses, yep, mm -hmm. it uses... Oh, uh, it sounded it like is, ASS. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's written in basic, um, and it calls assembly language routines in uh, uh, the utility uh, file prgflash.bin. Okay, I've got some... And specifically, it makes use of one particular little routine that I call from the basic program. It goes in, it maps in the ROM file and reads a byte and then returns it back to basic, sort of like a peak. But instead of peaking the existing memory, it's peaking at a, a ROM in a particular slot. Does it have What's a graphical user interface? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very simple. It comes up in a 32-column screen and asks you, okay, what's the name of the uh, file that you want to dump to? It limits you to seven characters because it adds uh, a digit onto the end if you're dumping a page ROM because it breaks it into 16K segments. And then it asks you for the slot where your ROM is and uh, and the size of the ROM, and, and that's it. And then it proceeds to sit there. When it's done, it tries to exit you back to disk extended basic, you know, uh, do, basically do a cold start because I really muck with some of the, the registers when I'm dumping the ROMs out, so I wanted to make sure I return the computer to what should be a usable state, but just as a disclaimer, also an uh, additional disclaimer, I strongly suggest that after you run this program and it successfully dumps the bin files out to your disk or DriveWire disk, that you go ahead and turn off and turn back on or cold start your computer because uh, I do do some pretty funky stuff with some of the registers to read the ROMs correctly, especially the 32, 32K ROMs that have uh, two banks there's a question from Jim Brain in the chat. Does it require 64K RAM to run, or will it run a 32 or 16K machine? Excuse it me. requires 64K and disk extended color basic. Okay. Okay. So, which is common with all of the utilities for the Cocoa Flash. They all require 64 a minimum of a 64K machine. Okay. So, would that um, read the ROM on, on my distal controller? Yes. Like, for it, instance? Yeah, it should do that fine. And then, so, um, 
what if I put my um, Intronics or whatever it's called? Uh, EEPROM uh, programmer? Yeah, EEPROM programmer in there. Would it read those? Because I have a whole bunch of uh, ROMs that I don't even know if some are written or not. It should it should read them. If they map in at either 8,000 or C1,000 on mm-hmm. a Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, um, it should be, and, and you have a multi-pack interface, yeah, it should be able to read them. Cool. So. And so the purpose of this would be for twofold. And I guess if you've got a, obviously we're, we're the disclaimer that we wanted to make was we're obviously we're, we don't want to um, condone or, or endorse or promote um, copyright infringements or, you know, uh, piracy or copying of software. So, I mean, that sh- should go without saying, but we'll go ahead and say it. Right. So uh, to quote uh, a famous guy from uh, South Park, uh, uh, piracy is bad and guy. Um, but if you, uh, we're talking about backing up a cartridge, so you would actually have to have the physical cartridge to back up. So it's kind of hard to dump a, a, a ROM of, unless you have the ROM. Right. So you're, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I, don't, you're, I, I you're, don't know how you would use this. In but, but in order to use it, you've got to have the physical cartridge. So, right, right. Yeah. But you, what he, but what other people are, are concerned about is yes, you can, you can copy your own ROM, but you can also distribute it out and right, you know, upload right, it to right. sites that, like that. And that's what, right. you know, some people don't want. And I agree with that. That's right. Unethical. Right. Right. So have your friends come I didn't, over. I didn't write any software to help you distribute it out. So <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. So and so you, we're backing up uh, cartridges. We're saving them to disk as a backup. Now, when they're saved to disk, are they still saved like in a .bin format, or are they saved as a .exe where they could technically be loaded and, and ran from disk? They're in a .bin format, which is what the com- color computer uses as a .exe. But you oh, can't. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay, but yeah, yeah but it, you can't can't load them and exec them uh they're okay. saved they're saved in a format actually that's compatible with the coco flash okay um so you can load them in the in the coco flash immediately and program them into one of the coco flash banks you can also transfer them off of the color computer and strip off the first five bytes and the last five bytes of the file and then it'll be in a raw uh, raw rom dump format because the color computer, when it puts it in bin format, it adds five bytes in the front that gives the start address of the file and the length of the file, and the last five bytes contain the exec address. Hmm. So if you just strip off the first five bytes of the last five bytes, then you've got a file that is now in a raw uh, 16K dump format. And if you if the ROM is uh, bigger than 16K, you just you know sort of, end-to-end concatenate all the files together after stripping off those two five-byte header and footer, and you've got the raw ROM. Okay. So the target audience for that for this is somebody who either, A, wants to back up their cartridges to just for archival backup purposes, or B, is looking to um, migrate things to the Cocoa Flash. Or C, use it in, uh, they have a physical Cocoa and they have a physical cartridge, and uh, they want to run that cartridge in an emulator because then you just transfer the bin file out ah, okay. and strip off those two five-byte sections. And, okay. you know, you're you've got something you can load into MAME or uh, MESS and, uh, and or VCC and, and run. Well, another that. thing you could do with the uh, ROM once you get it out of there is actually take a look at it and see what messages were hidden by the programmer in the ROM. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> so, Easter egg um, man. I yeah. kind of did it in a few. 
Now I just uh, I just oh, want truth to comes out. <laughs> um, so I just want to note that if you're trying to run it in VCC or MAME, if it's a 32K color computer ROM um, that has the banks at at eight at, at eight thousand and C thousand, you're not going to be able to run that in either VCC or MAME at this time because they don't support the bank switching. Um, they support MAME supports the type of bank switching. But not that type. Okay. Um, it supports the type of bank switching that is in a color computer one two uh, cartridge that is bigger than than thirty two k. It has a thing called sixteen uh, k bank cartridge that you can select, and that you know, ironically, the there's only one sixteen k banked cartridge I know of that is uh, that will work on a color computer one and two, and that is Mind Roll. Um, all the other banked cartridges that I know of are Coco 3 only, <laughs> but, okay. uh, there's several 32 K cartridges like Arkanoid, mm-hmm. uh, and Rampage, etc., that have banks at 8,000 and C thousands that are simultaneously mapped. And whereas this thing will dump them correctly and they will work on a Coco flash and on a physical color computer three, they will not work on an emulator because currently the emulators have no support for them. Okay. Copy that. Uh, so I'm working on that loser. also too. But so the big loser is the uh, software developer and the software distributor because it uh, prevents all those uh, sales of uh, new uh, cartridges, right? Um. Well, that, that no. Was the joke. <laughs> that was, uh, if, was it? <laughs> I think you've got uh, emulation under Mame for the you know. The, uh, ma- the the Soundmaster cartridge that's out there, so that that would work. Um, you've also, as I said, the 16K banked cartridges work. Just one type of cartridge doesn't work under the emulators, which is the uh, 32K, where it has two banks mapped mm-hmm. at once. Which is only that's only for the Coco Three. And well, a lot of that has to do with since I wrote those games, has to do with the fact that a the banks kind of swap place whether you're in 16 or 32K mode. And that causes a bit of a problem. The other thing, too, is both those games look at the Color Computer 3 as if it's not a 128K system. It's a 160K system of memory because Mm -hmm. it's paging in RAM and ROM constantly uh, via the MMU into the system as things are needed. And that kind of messes up the emulators a little bit. Now, the biggest is that thing how, had, uh, is that how John was... Lundville uh, made his movie? Paging those... The movie? You're mm-hmm. talking about his video player? Yeah, his video player. I'm not familiar with how his video player works, so I can't comment. But this the, is uh, something you can only do if you've got 32K of ROM and a 128K uh, Coco 3. The uh, the RAM uh, and MMU and everything is is emulated fine, including uh, paging and all of that. Um, Mame slash mess emulates all of that correctly. What it doesn't emulate is very simply mapping in more than sixteen k of ROM at one time. That's where it breaks. It only maps in when it goes to map a ROM into Mame. It's only mapping in sixteen k. It doesn't support the register at FF ninety that allows it to turn on the other 16K bank. 
mm-hmm. or, or well, maybe it supports that register, but it's not mapping in more than 16K of ROM. So I've got a discussion going on that, and I'm trying to figure out if I can figure out where the applicable code is, I'll submit a patch. Otherwise, I'm working okay. with them to try and fi- fix that myself. But So when this product is ready for release, Barry, where will people be able to get it? Well, I've currently got it on a Google Drive, um, and it does seem to be working. So okay. I, I can, uh, I, I've pu- published the, the link on the Facebook page to the Google Drive, and I've also published it on the Cocoa list. So, okay. Um, ready for release? I, I think it's ready. I don't know of any known bugs. I've tested it myself, and it seems to work. Um, the only caveat I have as far as usability is concerned is that when it, when it exits, I do suggest cold starting the machine. Right. right, so. right. Okay. Well, that's cool. Very, very cool. All right. Well, we will go ahead and take another quick break and then we'll come back. We do have a question of the week. We've got a Ron segment and then we got some news from around the world to cover. So thank you, Barry. When we come back for commercial, if anybody has any more questions for Barry, uh, please chime in with those. So I may, I may be, I may be gone after your commercial break because ah. I've got some other stuff going. On, so okay, well, well you thank, did well. Yeah, Barry. thanks for and thanks for joining back into the program, Barry. Nice to have you back on again. All, All right. right. Well, we'll be back in two and two, people. Hello, I am David Ladd, and you are watching Coco Talk, the nation's leading live. Coco Podcast. Every day, a color computer is abandoned or abused. They live in the dark recesses of garages, basements, storage sheds, barns, and attics, waiting for someone to help. Hi, I'm Helen Bleeding Heart. Please say you'll be the answer for Coco suffering the effects of extreme temperature, overexposure to ultraviolet light, and conditions unfit for electronics. These Cocos need your help. Please call 888-6883 or go online and join the Color Computer Preservation Society with a monthly gift right now. For just $18 a month, you can rescue Cocos from their abusive environments, provide repair of damaged parts, administer retro-bright treatments, and most of all, provide love. Call or sign up online in the next 30 minutes, and we'll send you a photo of a Coco being lovingly reconditioned by the CCPS. And you'll receive this beautiful tote bag that declares, I saved a Coco. Yours for your generous, perpetual monthly gift. This is your chance to say, I won't sit by while a Coco is wasting away. Please, won't you call or go online right now?
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay. Color Computer Gaming DVD today, gameplay. head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stro. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stro sent you. All right, we are back with more Cocoa Talk. Yeah, that was a great commercial um, that Myro put together for the Cocoa Preservation Society. You know, it's like, well, screw those starving children. We got uh, Cocos to take care of people. <laughs> Priorities. I never saw it here. <laughs> oh, you didn't see it? Mm -hmm. Oh, the screen share thing might not be working. All right. No, uh, Ron had his own little his own little show on his side. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> My uh, wife is going after something under the bed. <laughs> I was laughing my butt off because she was trying to be invisible. Ah, <clears throat> uh, well, nobody else outside of the Skype call saw her anyway. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm sure, she's good. happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> So, real quick, I want to, um, before we get into the question of the week and a few things like that, I do want to show something real quick because this was kind of an experiment that I think um, worked out pretty well. So, I guess it was last week uh, in the evening. It was a Saturday night, right? We did kind of an impromptu Coco Talk Live, and we did it on uh, Facebook. And when it was live, it got 330 views during the uh, two hours or so that it ran. Now, you know, what qualifies a view? Did somebody come in for one second and leave? We don't know if a view was one second or if it was one hour. But 330 views is more views than we've gotten on any of our YouTube episodes Um probably ever uh so that's still an interesting number now that was the live stream which for whatever reason it didn't replay so then what i did is i went ahead and i i um saved the video and i uploaded the video again and, and since it's that same video has been re-uploaded um it has gotten 365 views on the reposting and again it's kind of hard to really qualify these numbers because uh, a youtube view somebody went there on purpose and clicked on the video and watched it on facebook because facebook automatically starts playing the video you know somebody could have accidentally uh, stumbled across it. So a lot of these views might not have been people who watched it on purpose or watched it for any length, but I still think that's an interesting number. And it does also tell me the number of minutes, 855 minutes worth of view time on that episode. And um, the moral of the story was, I, I think it was a heck of a lot of fun. I think we had a lot of fun doing that episode. It was it was the opposite of today's episode. It was extremely non-technical. We can put it that way, right? But we had a lot of fun. And um, I, I think I would like to do more of those. It doesn't have to be a regular thing. But um, but I just think it was a fun thing. And, and um, what I would just like to say to the people who are watching us on YouTube right now, if you are not a uh, subscriber to the uh, Facebook page, and you might want to be because we might end up doing some more um, uh, spontaneous live streams to Facebook, but we do, I will post the replay. So the replay of that episode, you can watch here on the YouTube channel, but I, I like having a slightly different show. 
uh, on a on a different way to see it now. So that show might just be a Facebook show, and and hopefully we'll have more of those. Tim Franklin says I loved the mixed drinks. So yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, hopefully we'll do some more. And I think for that uh, that first time of doing that show, the After Dark show was never done live before. The fact that it's gotten you know theoretically 600 views uh, is pretty cool. You know, so hopefully we can do more of those. Uh, and so just for for those who don't know about it, check it out. Um, subscribe to the Facebook page, whatever it's called. Like the page, whatever the hell that's called. Um, and, and look for more of those shenanigans. All right. Uh, cool. So we're back. We're back. And the next thing I guess we will talk about is, uh, Grant, you want to do your question of the week? Sure. I'll, we'll get that done. All right. Well, hold on. I don't have music, but I have graphics. So hold on one second here. Let's bring this up here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, imagine there's some really cool music playing right now, and it is time for <laughs> Grant Leedy and the question of the week. Take it away, Grant Leedy. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> uh, so Richard and I were discussing here on Discord here a couple nights ago um, about the proper ways to uh, protect our vintage computers and equipment and software and disk and tapes. Uh, from the norm normal elements of our house, uh, you know, because some people in Florida, you know, they ha live in a lot more humid locations than the people up in Canada who are dry and uh, um, cold all the time. <laughs> so I just want to open it up to the panel and just what do you guys do to protect your equipment, uh, um, you know, from the elements of the house, from bugs and humidity and, and the day-to-day -day life? Can I go first? Sure. I have a picture of David Ladd scares away insects, rodents, and evil spirits. Sure, it's not the high pitched whining that goes with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute! You guys are just so evil. <laughs> so Steve BR can feel better. We're not picking on you and the MC10 anymore. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. We love you, David Ladd. We love you, David Ladd. Did you ever notice that David Ladd's uh, picture looks more like a wanted poster for a drug lord? <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it. So anybody have any legitimate tips on how to protect vintage equipment from the elements, uh, oxidation, air, smoke, wind, fire? Don't, don't well, hang you know your floppy disks on the fridge with a magnet. And you know, those um, tall uh, cabinets for um, that are plastic that have drawers like uh, like, like tote bins, like tote bins. This yeah, is like how I keep all my bins uh, are good. Um, also, put them put them the, like the floppies. Uh, put them in like the plastic baggies, the the, the sealed ones. Uh, if you're going to do it for long term storage, uh, is that protecting I, from like moisture or uh, humidity or whatever? Right. Okay. Well, actually, to protect the stuff from moisture, use those little packets you get when you get something new. You know, the little uh, silica. Well, yeah, yeah silica. good idea. Yeah, and the ones that say "do not eat." Yes, yes, <laughs> right. They usually yeah, they, they, detergent. Yeah, those usually come uh, sometimes in pairs of shoes too. And I'm thinking, I don't care what came out of that shoe. You don't have to tell me not to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that's not free candy? <laughs> Uh, a poor man's version of that is just um, rice in a bag, you know. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, the things you get at the weddings, those little net bags of rice, those are good um, moisture absorbers, too. 
You just got to change them out every year. Yeah. 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 yeah the other thing too is if you can keep keep your your equipment away from direct sunlight because that'll yellow the plastic and and cause all kinds of problems. So. Well, also yeah. another bad place is like the attic or even the garage because uh, you have extreme temperatures uh, in there, and so you want it you want it in a very consistent place. Uh, a lot of my stuff is in a uh, climate controlled storage uh, shed right now, uh, and that's just for that purpose. Is because if you put them in the garage and the like in the attic, it could get up to 140 degrees in the summer, and in the winter, of course, it can get you know down to freezing. So with those extreme temperatures, that that will alter the electronics, especially like the electrolytic caps. Cool. And what about like people like Steve and uh, uh, that live in Florida? I mean, is the salt water worse for the uh, machines more so than uh, other places? Well, it would be more like the, the stainless steel can start rusting, uh, you know, things like that. And, and of course, when you have like in the attic and in other places, it's not just bugs. It's also uh, you know, uh, rodents will get inside. They'll chew up the boxes and get inside and make little nests and things like that and uh, basically destroy your machine that you're trying to save or preserve. Hey, real quick, I just want to say hi to Wayne Campbell, who's been in the live chat, too. So we have not heard from Wayne in a little while, so Wayne's been around. I talked to Wayne on Discord, I think it was yesterday in the morning, and Wayne's joined us in the live chat. So, hey, Wayne. Good to see you again. Nice Hi, to hear Wayne. from you again, and hopefully we'll get you back on the show sometime soon. So just wanted to acknowledge Wayne. He's he's out there. Wayne's world. Wayne's world. Party <laughs> on. Excellent. Woo, 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 woo. All right. With me, as always, my excellent friend, Garth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question, Grant. Anybody else got any other advice or experiences on, on how to protect? And this would be true for any even modern electronics, too. How do we protect our electronics, uh, especially. I like. Know. I like keeping the large plastic bags. You can wrap stuff up in those. Those are great too, and yeah. help keep the moisture and stuff and the bugs out of them. Yeah, yeah especially I, the uh, bags you use to vacuum and seal your clothing. Those are great, also. Oh, the space bags yeah. where you can vacuum yeah. seal yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I also do is like the the literature and all that. I save all that along with the boxes. A lot of people just kind of throw those out, but I mm -hmm. always save my boxes. And uh, yeah. you know, five or six later years later, when I need to sell it or get rid of it, it adds it adds a lot of value to it when you have all the original packaging. True. The question True. I got for you though is, are you married? Yes. Because most wives won't let you do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got their own stuff they want to store. Yeah. That's why it goes into storage. Yeah. <laughs> I um I keep boxes on anything new. Like if I get a new laptop, I have like at least a six-month rule where I'm going to keep all the original packaging in case something goes wrong and I have to return it. It's always easier to return yeah. it in the original stuff. Um, and sometimes it's mandatory if you want your warranty work done, you send it back yeah. to the original packaging. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Keep it for the uh, warranty period at least. I have a handful of Cocos in my garage, but when I say in my garage, they're not like in an attic or anything. And yes, I'm in Florida and it gets a little bit hot, but I have a table. And what I, what I ended up getting were these big clear like Rubbermaid bins with lids so I can see everything that's in there and there's lids on them. Um, and the reason why I did that too, could because we're in my garage, I've got this air conditioning unit like in the ceiling and it's got like a drip pan underneath it. And once or twice that pan, if, if like the things backed up and it wasn't flowing outside the house, that pan might flood and drip into my garage. So I wanted to make sure all my cocoa stuff were in um, plastic bins with snapped Loctite lids, so nothing ever dripped on them being out there in my garage. 
Um, I suppose if it got really, really, really hot, that that could affect them. But it's been it's been halfway decent um, in my garage. But I do have them at least protected from accidental flooding in there. You know. Great. And uh, Richard, one other question I have for you. So if we were to get a computer that is kind of a little rough, what uh, what all can you do to restore it? Uh, there's various things. Number one, don't use any uh, like bleach or ammonia. Those are like uh, big no-nos. You don't want to use harsh chemicals. The, the best thing to do to start out with is just start with a small area, you know, usually <laughs> underneath the computer and use soap and water. Or just even water, you know, a, a damp cloth, and 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 do it that way. You know, start and see how it affects the plastic or, uh, you know, uh, or the surface, and um, and then you can work your way up with some of the other chemicals. Uh, it's you know, like stainless steel uh, vinegar is a is a good solution, and uh, you know, Dawn dishwashing liquid is probably your best friend. Cool. And I think Steve had a he had his hands. Yeah, up over I was there. raising my hand. I was going to say, could we use oven cleaner at any time to work on these, Richard? Do you recommend that? No. <laughs> that, that's if you want to strip the paint off. I mean, I, I remember uh, it was that Eight uh, Bit guy was uh, he yeah, was using that to strip the paint off. But I know that really. I like uh, <laughs> I like distilled water and ninety nine percent alcohol or ninety one percent alcohol for cleaning stuff. But you know, be careful of any marks like uh, you know. Uh, quality marks or you don't want to remove anything that might detract value later yeah. I think some of the stuff we drink in Cocoa Talk After Dark might be good for cleaning <laughs> yeah, cause you, you also have to be uh, mindful of uh, like Tandy used to do their quality control uh, inspections or, or they, they didn't have stickers they actually had little grease pins and they would write underneath the cabinet uh, you know the date and the and the person who inspected it uh, those are, those are, you know, and I, I catch those all the time and they could be easily erased. So if you're going to want to preserve this thing as close as possible, just be aware of those kind of markings. Those are quality control markings, you know, for the, at least for the Tandy, Tandy ones. I don't know about the after dark stuff. I mean, would you want all your stuff smelling like rum? <laughs> I was thinking Everclear. Yeah. 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 There you <laughs> go. Yeah. yeah. So who, who has used the retro bright stuff? Who's there? Who's anybody, anybody used that in the past? Uh, I've used it a few times. And what technically is retro bright? Is it like peroxide basically? Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's, it's just a pure hydrogen peroxide mixed in with like borax and other stuff. Uh, the best solution, if you just want it ready made is you can go to Sally's beauty, beauty supply. Uh, I, can't remember right offhand what this stuff is called, but I think it's like think 44, it's, 40. it's called 44. Yeah, 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 just that that's probably the best stuff, you know, pre made. You can get it in, you know, uh, 16, 16 ounce or quart bottles, and it's really cheap. And Sally's Beauty Supply is, you know, everywhere across the country here, so that's probably your, your best, best place to buy it. Yeah, I go there quite a bit myself, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, now, what? Right. How's how is RetroBright supposed to work? You you apply it to the surface and you leave it out in the sun, and the sun activates it, or something like that, or yeah, it's just the UV uh, the UV light. The sunlight is probably you know is the best you know is one of the best sources. You put it out there uh, for a few hours, and you have to make sure it's done evenly, and ha- you know it has to be a bright day. It just can't be you know overcast or anything like that. You can also use uh, UV light. Uh, which can it, you could use that as well if you don't if you're in like a you dark 
you know, area. You know, there's not a whole lot of sunlight. Okay. It's David. interesting that uh, the UV light is what caused it in the first place. Yeah, but it's yeah. just a chemical reaction with the peroxide. And, and, and what it was is it was, uh, I think it was boron. Bromide. 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 Yeah. yeah. Of course, Davey's saying don't use Vegemite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, Not even to eat. But, uh... <laughs> no, that's to seal your driveway. Uh, uh, Vegemite, Vegemite could uh, double as rosin, though, couldn't it? <laughs> but I know some people afterwards, what they'll do is they'll paint it with a uh, with a UV coating, you know, the UV uh, in inhibitor uh, on top of that, just to prevent it from yellowing again, because it it will yellow after a while. What about our monitors and stuff like that? If we have more than one monitor, how do you protect those? Um, just keep them covered when you're not using them. Uh, and also periodically clean them because uh, it uses the most of the older monitors have vents in there, you know, openings. And it doesn't hurt once in a while just, just to open it up carefully and blow it out with, you know, like a, uh, if you have that liquid air or not liquid air, but the canned air or a, a compressor. That also helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you really, and, and the other things that go bad in monitors are usually the caps in there and uh, have a qualified technician, you know, either replace them or if you know how to do that, just, you know, replace them. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to do it yourself because I've worked on monitors and TVs and like that and found myself on the other side of the repair <laughs> shop because the tube hadn't been discharged. Right, yeah, Bill. Bill Noble's done that once or twice. I've witnessed. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I did that once on a service call. I mean, I thought I had discharged it, but then I touched it because, yeah, those uh, anodes, uh, it which is that that little looks like a suction cup that goes on top in on the pitcher tube itself. Uh, those can hold a charge of ten thousand to twenty-five thousand volts. Changes skin color. Who keeps creaking their chair right now. Oh, that's me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, we have somebody in the live chat. Atari Hotel says an antibacterial wet one that has a pink label. He says he's used that on many Atari TRS-80 games and computers and uh, several um, ham radios with zero damage ever. So a wet one. I guess uh, those are the big wipes you can pull out of the big tub. Uh, so an antibacterial wet one. Uh, we got somebody saying that might work. Um, I just don't like his phrasing that TRS-80s are games, not real computers. TRS-80 <laughs> games and computers, yeah. So. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> because the candy of, vision. <laughs> because, because the Atari 8-bits were all about serious computing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tons of practical applications were developed for those systems. <laughs> yeah, the typing tutor in the Atari 400 was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think you could probably extend that collection too. Like, what are some uh, that extend that question to? What are some good practices, even for taking care of some modern stuff? Like, you know, there are certain things. Like, if you're going to clean uh, an LED screen, you know, I think you, you, some people will spray things onto a cleaning cloth, but never spray it directly onto the screen because of the liquid and the electronics, right? So, 
Um, I have found that there are certain, even like a paper towel, a paper towel contains some abrasiveness to it. And um, uh, over time, paper towels can scratch glass. And so if you're going to clean a, any type of monitor, either a glass tube or a flat panel, you probably want to use uh, a modern microfiber lint-free cloth. If you're going to use a cleaning solution, um, spray it onto the cloth, not directly onto the screen, and, and carefully rub it so you're not... Uh, you know, doing anything to the surface of that display. One of the reasons why, kits. one of the reasons why you don't want to spray directly to the monitor is usually there's a lot of electronics connections that are at the bottom of the monitor, mm -hmm. and all those chemicals run right down into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. A, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you don't want to use a cloth, any kind of cloth at all that's dry, because it will act as sandpaper against all that dust. So you you has to be more you have to use some kind of lubrication, mm, you know, like water. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan Huffman's asking, when did this start? You talking about the show or or or, or hygiene? Hygiene's been around for a while, Alan. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm surprised he's not asking what the topic is. What's the topic today? Yeah, what are you guys uh, talking about? <laughs> That's a great question, Grant. Um, have we beat it to death? Anyone's got anything else they want to chime in on that? Let me just show my pictures now. Well, we gotta. We have to introduce you, Ron. That's a new segment. Oh, okay. There's, there's things called segues okay. here. Okay. Oh, I, I just <laughs> want to add one one last thing before we move on. If if you're, let's say that you immerse something in water or something like that, it's not the end of the world. Just take it apart, let it dry out. Most of the time, it'll yeah. it'll be okay. Electronics, you mean, right? So if something, yes, gets, something gets wet, let it dry, let it dry completely, uh, and it, it might not be dead. I actually had that happen to a BlackBerry one time. The thing about water is it's non-conductive, pure water. It's the minerals and stuff in it that cause the problems. So, right. you know, and something like that, if something gets soaked or whatever, I rinse it off with distilled water and then warm, dry it. You can put it in the oven on a really low temperature, help dry it, get everything to evaporate off. So. Yeah. Put yeah, because yeah, we clean PC boards and 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 other electronic stuff all the time. I mean, we basically goes through a dishwasher type thing, so you know, we do it routinely. Right, That's right. where I work. Right, and if you have a bowl of rice to put things into, that'll help dry them out too. The rice will absorb the moisture. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you just need chopsticks, and you have lunch after you're done there too. You go. So. <laughs> <laughs> a little tip when you're a little tip when you're using the oven, turn on the oven before you put the electronics in. Get it warmed mm. up to about uh, 150, 180 degrees. Turn yep. off the oven, and then using your hand, put it in there. And if you find that oven is too hot for your hand, you wait until you can put it in with your hand not getting too hot. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, we want to warm it up. Yeah, the the ovens we use at work uh, are are set, and 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 these are these are commercial kind of grid. They they actually circulate the air. They're they're set at 120 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the other okay. thing too is you do not want to use a gas oven with it on because when gas burns, it creates moisture. Mm -hmm. And you do in not want to use an oven that has a pilot light in it. You Bring go. your cocoa up here. It's about 120 degrees in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> just leave it on Ron's driveway. Yeah, yeah, so you just rinse them off and leave it in the driveway. Got it. Yep. Ken was saying make sure you grease the pan before you put it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and make sure you use non-stick. Uh, yeah, oh, the troll's uh, back. 
preheat the oven, make sure you grease your pan the whole nine yards. So yeah, um, what, that's that's what's very, nice with the yeah nice use a silicon mat. The warming oven basically helps any moisture that gets inside helps it to evaporate out, uh-huh. so it doesn't stay in there. Good point. Good point. All right, Ron, we're gonna we're gonna we're All gonna right. introduce you with your proper um, little segment here. So hold on just a second here, everybody. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the guest bedroom, host of Ron's Garage. <laughs> please welcome. Mr. Ron Delvo. All right. You like how we did that? This is a professional show, Ron. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's share screen here and go to um, this one. You see what that is? We see it. What oh, are we looking Steve. at here? Oh, wow. It's it's Steve in 1984. Wow, nice mustache. Yeah, check out that mustache. I, I had a um, preview of it. Here we go. Can you see that better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is from the 84 Rainbow Fest. There's uh, Lonnie and my wife. <laughs> ah, hello, wife. She's a little blurry, but... Ooh, that's you know a, anybody? That's, that's an up. interesting cocoa I see right there. It's a uh, <laughs> IBM XT. There's a uh, 100 on the yeah, table there. Tandy model 100. Yeah. This is the machine I was uh, thinking that um, Mr. Bjork was showing, but I guess it wasn't him. It was somebody else. It's uh, um, I guess it's a little fax machine or something. It's a. Uh, do you guys no, know what it a- is? That's a portable, uh, I think that's a PT-210 or PT-1. That was the Tandy's portable uh, uh, terminal. And yeah, you but would somebody it put a cocoa at this show. It looks yeah, like a cocoa in the it. case, yeah. Yeah. You know who this guy is, anyone? Uh, no. Is that you? Nope. <laughs> Son of Sam. This is uh, Mr. Rosen. Hey, yeah, Bob Rosen. Hey, yep. Ah, if he's out there, oh, what's this here? Windows has performed a Windows operation. <laughs> There's a bunch of uh, drives that you could buy, I guess. Yeah, it's like David's dream home there. <laughs> <laughs> Dot There's matrix a, printers yeah. for a hundred bucks, huh? DMP one hundred five, I think, one hundred seven. And I think uh, those are 10 meg hard drives for sale for 100 and something. For wow. wow, I can't see the sign fully. But what year was this? 84. Now this is a picture of uh, lights going up on a controller being run around the sign. Okay. Coco. Yeah. And I think uh, that's Lonnie maybe talking in a. That's probably the breakfast. The cocoa breakfast yeah. on Saturday morning. Okay. And then um, that, of course, is <laughs> Chicago. Sears Tower. And um, this guy here is uh, Jeff Kranz. He's the one that built, uh, if you were in, um, he went uh, at the sh- to the show at the same time I did. This, this was yeah. at the Hyatt Regency uh, in Woodfield, wasn't it? In Schaumburg? Yeah, in Schaumburg. Here's um, our man again Steve? speaking. 
Okay. Yep. He had a big crowd. Yeah. And uh, here's Lonnie. And I don't know any. Oh, Mr. Dale Diddle. Puckett on the far left. Yeah, Puckett. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know the other guys. But uh, I was walking by and just snapped it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone know this guy? Off the top of my head. No. Yeah. And then this is a computer fest in Toledo. And uh, that um, Jeff Kranz is the one that built this uh, three-pack. Hey, Ron. Uh, that's about it. Yep. Okay. Um, could you go back one photo? Sure. That the one? Uh, person, I I think the uh, person that's wearing that hat, I'm not 100% sure, Over but here? I think that person there that looks kind of like a U.S. Postal Service hat, that might be one of the people from uh, the club I was in up oh, yeah? here in the Omaha area. Oh, can usually tell by the big ears because he had big ears. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say cool. that one shot you showed from the lobby in the hotel there a couple shots back, uh, which kind of viewing out the front door. That's actually the restaurant was to your left. Um, go back a bit more yet. That there? one there. Yeah, that's actually the restaurant's right to the left of you. And the main front entrance is where you're there. And if you go behind you to the right, that's where the main hall to the exhibit hall was. Oh, okay. Cool. So this was East. a Rainbow Fest from 84, you said, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the Rainbow Fest were actually held in Schaumburg, Illinois? Yeah. I yep. Regency okay. Woodfield, right across the street from the Woodfield Mall. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that area. That's a really nice mall, too. So it was the world's it's... largest for a while. I think it's the one of the busiest in the United States, as far as uh, per square feet. Okay, there's one other thing I want to share. That's this one. Can you see that screen? Yep. Yes. I don't see it. Oh, yes, I do. Okay. Well, on this screen, um, if you if you guys ever um, go to some of these uh, sites, you know, that we have these, um, like this particular one, go to um, photos and then scroll down, and you'll be amazed at how many um, pictures there are of uh, – Everything in, uh, you know, there's a zillion pictures of, uh, in, in this case, this is machines. There's hundreds and hundreds of pictures that get posted, and you see them all at once if you hit photos. Yeah, this is your group Same. that's called Show Us. Yeah, Show Baby Us Your Color, color Computer. Computer. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome to see all yeah. this stuff. Yeah, that's that's all I got for you guys. It's just uh, I have to find my mouse here. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Ron. Yep, thanks, guys. Yeah, yes, yes. All right, cool stuff. All right, well, we do have. Uh, I do want to show off some news of things that I've come across on Facebook, and maybe you guys have a few more things you want to talk about too. We'll take one more commercial break, and we'll come back uh, in just a minute here. But cool, thanks a lot, Ron. Appreciate that. Yep. Times Garage, as you can see, Color Computers, <laughs> Coco Chalk, Stevie Stroh, what can you ask for? This is the best. 
Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew podcast. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Stroh play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. What's going on everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. All right, and we are back. So we're going to talk about some news. And one of the things I want to start with, because he was in the live chat earlier, and hopefully he's still here, but Davey Mitchell sent me something that I wanted to share with you guys. So he is reviving um, uh, one of his programs and updating one of his programs. So now I need to find that page right now. So I will end up putting, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll stick this in the live chat uh, when we're done. But so Davy Mitchell has come up with a page called Davy's Retro Corner. And one of his projects he's working on right now is called Pigs 2018, which is a version of the classic dice rolling game written in basic for the Dragon 32 and Coco 2. And then he's got some documentation here from uh, an old Dragon blog. And then he's got a few links like the Dragon Archive. He's got Coco Talk on here. And a couple of online tools, including Simon Jonasson's um, SG Edit uh, screen designer and a few things like that. So I'm, I'm not sure if he's got the download here on his site, but I believe you will be able to download this game. But the game is called uh, Pig. And it is a version of the classic dice game Pig, which I used to enjoy playing on my Palm Pilot. Um, and let me see if I can click on some of these screenshots here. So here's our nice little title screen looks very lovely and then here we can see some of the dice rolls so we're using some of the low uh, low res graphics but they look good here and um, can I go back and then it looks like you got a scoring screen on here too so I'm not that familiar with a game called pig uh, anybody familiar with the dice game called pig it's not kosher <laughs> <laughs> And so the version he's updating for 2018 is going to have a smarter computer component. And yeah, he's got a zip file, which has the cassette file that you could load in or a, a basic file in plain text, ASCII. So I guess you could copy and paste that into an emulator. So we will, um, I will go ahead and, and put Davey's page out there right now um, in the live chat. And I will add it to I'm a Coconut. And I don't have time. Um, to cool. to play it right now, but I will do that too, and maybe do a video on it too. So I have put a link there for you, and thanks, Dave, um, for sending that to me and for sharing that with us. And hopefully, we'll get a chance to look at that um, in a future episode too. Now, a few things that have been coming up on Facebook recently. So yeah, I actually had pulled up uh, Ron's page too on show us your Tandy color computer, but uh, Stu Kenley had put out here that. He just upgraded his 16K Coco 2 with Color Basic to 64K and Extended Basic uh, for his daughter to enjoy Forest of Doom. So how cool is that, that a new game um, was the motivation to uh, upgrade an old Coco? I like that. 
Um, uh, recently, Ed Snyder had posted that he's got a number of his mini MPIs for sale right now that are already assembled and ready for shipping. And for those of you who are not aware of this, uh, the mini MPI is um, a small multi-pack interface that you can see right here that will hold up to two cartridges. It's a smaller footprint, takes up a little bit less space. I believe these are selling for $80 plus shipping. That includes the electronics and the, uh, and the case for it. And so here's the document showing how to use the mini MPI. And apparently there's um, some slots here where you can change it. So you can change the slot ID. Because this will emulate up to four slots and there's only two, um, you can set the identity of, of one of those slots for uh, perhaps some software that had some dependencies on a, on a certain thing needing uh, a different slot. So, you know, one of the questions that come up uh, in, uh, in, on this discussion, which was like, well, why do we need a multi-pack? I mean, if you have to ask the question, then you probably don't. But why, um, why do people um, need multi-packs? And I guess need is kind of a subjective word, but what, what is one of the uses or benefits of having a multi-pack interface in, in this day and age, guys? If you still have floppies, you want to transfer your files off onto a Cocoa SDC, that's one big reason, because you can plug in your floppy controller and the SDC at the same time. Uh, also, if you're on. using a, a sound card, uh, the, the newer sound cards, the Orchestra 90, along with your mm -hmm. SDC and floppy. That's uh, another use. Uh, if you're using uh, RS-232, uh, that's another peripheral card. I uh, also wanted to add, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you, but uh, the ones that Ed had just previous, he had extra ones for sale this past week. All of them have been sold. Oh, wow. And, so that was quick. Yeah. Uh, and I believe he's going to be making more. But I think if you email him... Uh, you know, and you could be put on a list or, you know, I, I'm sure that he's going to be making more. I can't speak for him, but right. they, they are they are all sold out. So what are we looking at here? Uh, that's uh, Coco 2. Um, I got hooked up, but uh, that is a uh, okay, Coco you have Max controller. Okay. Gotcha. So you've got, my, uh, you've got slot mouse. one of you got slot one available. You've mm -hmm. got your Coco Max, you've got a Coco SDC, and then what's that third cartridge in the background? Is that a hard drive controller or just a big-ass floppy controller? It's a floppy controller. It's a Disto 4-in-1. Yeah, Disto SC2, it looks like. Okay. Yeah. So uh, back in the day, it was probably maybe a little bit more necessary, yeah. if we could use that word, to have these when we were using a lot yep. of different devices on a production Coco. Maybe yep. today's, it's a, maybe a little bit less necessary but uh yeah great example is uh running a, a game off of disc that also uses like the speech sound pack that would require a um that would require a multi-pack or like you guys had already mentioned if you're running running to run something that uses uh, uh the orchestra 90 card or uh copying a physical real floppy to a uh, sd you know creating a disc image or like what um Barry was talking about earlier backing up a ROM cartridge onto either a disc or you know uh, copying it to a disc or cassette or Coco Flash. So there are uh, there are some there are some reasons to use a multi-pack interface, and the challenge becomes getting a multi-pack interface uh, these days, right? So you obviously you can't buy them in Radio Shack, and finding them on eBay they are a little less common. 
and expensive. Not, and not always reasonably priced, right? You're looking at you're probably looking at spending $100 plus on a multi-pack. There is, there are some caveats and differences to which versions of multi-packs are compatible with the Coco 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I think for voltage reasons. And um, uh, I'm assuming that Ed Snyder's is going to be compatible with Coco's 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I think the one thing that Ed Snyder's is not compatible with would be the old FD500 controller because that required 12 volts, and I believe his uh, slots are only 5-volt slots. So I think there was one of the reasons why a multi-pack was used back in the day, too, is that the Coco 2 stopped having 12-volt output on the cartridge slot. And if you had the old, uh, you know, 1.0 disc controller, you needed you needed 12 volts to run that. Am I correct yeah. on that recollection? Yeah, that is that is correct. And I'm trying to remember, did the graphics tablet also need 12 volts? Yes, it did. Okay, yeah. like the full size one, not the Koala Pad. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there were there were a few reasons why you might have needed it too if you had a Coco 2 because it could not drive certain cartridges because of the uh, voltage uh, differences. Uh, what is Alan? Okay, uh, so we have in the live chat here. So Solstice has said, speaking of carts and serial communications, what's up with the thread on the Cocoa list regarding the serial communication cart? Would like to hear something about it now or in a future episode. I'm not on the list. I don't know. Has anybody followed that conversation about the... Yeah, community? they're talking about some of the deficiencies of the 6551 chip. Uh, there's some bugs in the chip that have always been in on there. Because we're talking about you know getting a replacement card made by Jim Brain or somebody else, and I guess there's modern versions that actually fix some of those problems. There's problems with flow control, and certain lines weren't high when they were supposed to be, so data wouldn't come through. And people had done little hardware hacks to get around them, and software hacks to get around them. So that's what the discussion was. But if you want to get into any depth of detail, I'd probably wait till another another episode. Okay. Okay, so at this point in time, the only reason why somebody would use an RS232 pack today would be for what? Fun for fun. Uh, so you, you, you could use it for serial mice under OS nine if you wanted to. Okay. Um, uh, some people like hooking up old terminals and stuff like that too. Um, okay. It's it's less CPU intensive if you're multitasking for doing just serial stuff to like drive wire or something like that too. I would imagine. because okay. it reads a whole byte at a time, not one bit at a time. And uh, yeah, some I, of those you can also hack them. They'll also run faster. Like I think Jim was mentioning the one that uh, he was looking at designing for. I think can handle up to two hundred thirty point four kilobaud. Um, so you can do some really fast serial communications too. So okay. So yeah, that was on the horizon, but apparently maybe that's no. Maybe we need to redact that because <laughs> if they're no longer available for purchasing, but hopefully a new run will come. He has um, said there will be another run coming. Okay. He just he sold out of this current run rather quickly. <laughs> okay, it's a hot item. So apparently there are people who not only know what a multi-pack is, but also, um, but also want one. Another thing I thought I would show off here really quick too, because this is like kind of coming full circle. But Lee Patterson continues to work on a bouncy ball, and the, the funny story here is, and we met Lee uh, at Coco Fest 25, which I think was in 2016, the 25th annual last Chicago Coco Fest. So this was Lee's first Coco game. And Bouncy Ball was a game based on a game he had on his smartphone. And so he took a, a, a smartphone game and made a Coco version, similar to kind of what Timberman ended up becoming, right? And so now what he's doing is he's taking Bouncy Ball, 
and he's converting it back to run on the iOS using this uh, iOS thing. So it's kind of coming full circle, but it's an interesting project where, you know, he took a mobile game, made it on the Coco, now he's taking his Coco game and making it mobile. But he's also making it true to the um, how the Coco game kind of looked and played, at least in the foreground. It's keeping all the block graphics. I think he's got uh, kind of a scrolling back plane of uh, graphics that the Coco doesn't do but i thought that was was kind of neat so um more more coco stuff or more coco inspired stuff gotta have more coco um what did i miss anything else in news this week that you guys think is worth talking about well how about that video ellen huffman put up with radio shack uh, oh, was that the, in the radio shack store. was that the scene from young sheldon Yes, it yes, was. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm not yep. sure that the YouTube gods will smile on me for playing that. Oh, so, yeah, I don't um, think they would. Yeah, the advertising. Post a link. Post a link. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure that was in the Facebook group. I think is where Alan posted that. So, um, if you guys don't know how to get to the Coco Facebook group, there's a link to there on uh, I'maCoconut.com. Um, what is what is Alan saying now? Yes, yeah, so it says, yeah, I started the thread. Someone posted that no one had the packs these days, so hopefully we'll get a new pack with, with some type of new uh, interface. Yeah. Uh, He's on the call, Steve. Oh, is Alan on the call now? Mm-hmm. There he is. Hey, yeah. Alan Huffman. Hello. Is that where all the rumbling noises come from? Is he... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. I know he said he had some bandwidth issues earlier. Okay, while we wait for Alan to get his thing together, let's run another commercial, and we'll be right back. So we'll kill some time here. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Poppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. I hope that movie's going to be in 3D. <laughs> Can't wait for the director's cut. <laughs> I'm uh, director's commentary. Yeah, Alan Huffman, are you with us? I certainly can be. Hey, hey, hey ladies and gentlemen, it's Alan Huffman. <laughs> and for those who don't remember way back when, Alan was on the very first ever episode of coco talk when coco talk was literally just a spontaneous thing like it like it all is today even but um you know the first time we got together and said hey let's talk about coco fest alan was with us and then alan is here again so we've come full circle 
And uh, thanks for being here, Alan. It's nice to have you on. I just wanted to hear you push the applause button, that's all. <laughs> I had to stroke the old ego a little bit there. <laughs> so we missed uh, we missed you at the beginning of the show. So anything you want to update us on as far as like any projects you're working on or anything like that? Well, as a matter of fact, I got to playing with Roger Taylor's Coco on a Chip um, last night. I had to go down and grab a uh, a tiny little monitor. I bought a $15 monitor from a local used computer shop. And that was able to um, let me set it next to my uh, couch in the living room and actually play with it. Because the thing's, you know, only the size of a couple of decks of cards, basically. So it's 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 very interesting being able to have something that small that's a full computer. So I was playing with the Bluetooth module, which I had just uh, installed and started playing around with the Wi-Fi module. And um, uh, Roger and I were uh, working on just connecting the two machines across the Internet to send messages back and forth. Um, turns out there's firmware for these little Wi-Fi chips that's on the Coco FPGA project. It's also on Roger's project. And you can reprogram the chip, and it acts like an old-style haze modem. You can just dial out and connect to a Telnet bulletin board or another color computer that's listening. And the little Wi-Fi chip is its like $2.00. Wow. Amazing. And quite a microphone you have. Uh, sorry, it's from my uh, podcasting days. <laughs> well, it comes in handy now. <laughs> All we need is a couple parrots in the background to really complete the whole... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Look like Steve's over there. <laughs> is it the same brand, Steve? Uh, no. No. But... Um... At least I learned how to talk into this thing properly, like he's doing too. You don't talk into it straight on; you talk to it on the side. <laughs> Boise needs. I didn't to know that you too. had. That's cool. Yeah. It depends upon how the mic is made. Mine's from the side as well. Yeah. No, I, well, I do Boise a lot of uh, stuff for radio, radio commercials and jingles, little you know, amateur uh, hobby business production things now. So that's the only reason I have something like this. I, I wouldn't have it if I was just doing, like, Skype, I think. And the windscreen, too. You're just telling us that we're not worth it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> so you've been posting some blog stuff, too, about making making basic great again or something like that. I mean, you you kind of you kind of come and go. Like we'll get like a a, a a flurry of posts and activity from you, and then we don't hear from you in a while, and then you another barrage of postings, and then. Um, but it's, you're you're active with us once again. So, <laughs> what else is going on besides yeah. the cocoa on the chip stuff? Well, you know, I I, uh, I wrote all those uh, random thought blogs uh, a year or so ago when I was playing around with BASIC and noticing what things were much faster than other things. And so I'm just going through and sanitizing all of those and grouping them together. And I think I've got the next three weeks post scheduled over on vintageisthenewold.com. So uh, all those posts will go out. I'm going to try to summarize the whole stuff of what I learned. And I'm getting feedback from people that are from Commodore machines and, you know, kind of hearing the similarities on the other systems. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of summarize that, um, in the conclusion and kind of, you know, there's, there's things we know today that most of us did not know back when we were learning basic in the, uh, the eighties. And I, I wish I would have so many little simple things. Sure. So sure. between that and then working on the, uh, Coco FPGA, those are kind of the things that, um, I'm planning on doing this uh, winter. In fact, I printed out all the um, programmers' references for Roger Taylor's 
product uh, today. Uh, mostly I'm trying to get all this junk behind me organized, get all my color computer gear brought back up here, and then I'll be back in business. So that's my winter project. You've been also scanning and adding things to archive stuff, too. You've been finding a, a, it's a treasure trove of all kinds of uh, vintage paper documents, too, right? I had a, a large filing cabinet that I started in 1990 when I opened up Subitha Software. And every time I went to a Cocoa Fest, any flyer that I got or any newsletters from that era all went into this filing cabinet. And um, I finally got a really good scanner. All that's been scanned and uploaded to the archive site, and he's been adding them over the last few weeks. So there's uh, a lot of duplicate stuff wasn't needed, but there are scans of newsletters that weren't there. Um, all kinds of random Cocoa Fest things, like one of the things that got posted was just a menu. They would come around at whatever festival it was and give us this menu so we could order lunch and they'd bring it into us. And I don't even know what show it was, but I just I, I scanned all that crap and it's up there now. That's neat. <laughs> so this uh, is the color computer archive? Yes. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we're glad that to was have just you. so I could get that box out of here so I could have more <laughs> room to bring my gear up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're definitely glad to have you back on the show because it seems like we always uh, communicate and pretty much not real time most of the time with you so it's nice to have you here. i'm listening to the podcast i'm up to uh, episode 22 so far so i'm catching up with you guys all right all right you know i like i love it where because uh, i had the same kind of revelation listening to the coco crew but you got people saying you know i've been listening to you guys so long i feel like i'm now talking to all of my friends here you know so it's kind of cool you know so well, this is this works the opposite for me though because you guys have so many in jokes and everybody knows everybody and I listen to things and I'm constantly hearing references and I don't have a clue what you guys are talking about. The big secret is neither do we. <laughs> well, it's when you get to episode Dang, Curtis, you'll get the better idea. Yeah. So that's good. And we also have joining us now on the program Brendan Donahue. How are you, Brendan? Hey, I'm doing great. How about everybody here? Good, good. Thanks for joining us as well. Nice to have you here. I love the shirt there. I'm oh, thank you. Not. Where'd you get that? Oh, I, from a guy named Stevie, I think. <laughs> it's a good-looking shirt He got it there. from a white van. That's what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Goodwill or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. So, came in a Cracker Jack box, so yeah. Uh, what have you been up to lately, Brendan? I noticed you posted something about a firmware update to the uh, Cocoa VGA. Yeah, um, that is um, a fix for an issue that uh, Boise found, I think, probably back in in November. Uh, and uh, and I had also found an issue, and both of these are related to the 64-column uh, text mode. Um, so, yeah, so th these are fixes for that. So they've been under under testing uh, between me and Ed and Boise for a couple months. So okay. I figured it was high time to make that available. It's, they're not, you know, particularly important updates, but, uh, you know, if, if folks are doing a lot of 64 column text mode stuff, then, uh, probably makes sense to, to update. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, what were the bugs? Cause I, I didn't actually hear what they were. Okay. So, uh, the one that Boise noticed was, um, that when you enable 64 column mode, it automatically enables lowercase, uh, you know, converts reverse video to lowercase. And that wasn't my intent. Um, there's a separate software switch for that. So that was the first thing I fixed. 
and that that issue was uh, kind of a remnant of when I switched from using the um, CG6 VG6 uh, six kilobyte um, paid you know um, video page to using a 2K page um, that that got left kind of left in there accidentally. Um, and then the other issue was was actually a graphical issue that you really don't notice unless you're using either reverse video text or uh, some of the semi-graphics for characters. Um, because at one character, about a th two-thirds of the way down the screen, right in the middle, um, its leftmost, or sorry, rightmost column of pixels was getting swapped with a column of pixels on the same line, but the last uh, character at the end of that line so it looked really really bizarre um but you know you had to you had to specifically light up those two two uh characters uh differently in order to actually see them hmm. so, is there any uh, software has anyone written any software to use the um the, the new modes uh, oh yeah all well, the infocom stuff got ported by ed snyder yeah that's right so th yeah that's right so that that's all available on the coco vga website um, I don't know if Boise wants to talk at all about uh, what he's been doing with the 64 column mode. If he's on. He's I, yes, I'm here. So yeah, the 64 column mode for OS 9 uh, level 1 uh, is working. I have a driver in place, but uh, there were some issues getting it put into the repository, so I don't know if it's freely available yet, but um, I do have it if anybody wants it. That really helps so that, level, level one having a 64 by 32 upper lowercase screen, I would say. Oh, yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. Wow. Really, 64 by 32 is quite a lot of text. You know, quite good. So, yeah, those are the only two pieces of software right now that, that you know, take advantage of them other than my, you know, kind of canned demos that I have. Although I have been toying with, um, you know, writing a simple game or something like that. Um, and that's actually why I've been playing with uh, CMOC on and off for the last couple months, just to, you know, become familiar with it and some of its idiosyncrasies and things like that. So does CMOC support the 64-column mode already? Uh, well, there's not really anything that, that needs to be done other than I, you, you know, as long as you can, I mean, you know, basically I'm having to write the software for it, but it's, it's pretty easy to do. Um, you just basically set up some uh, a data structure, make sure it's aligned with a 512 byte page, and wait for the interrupt service routine, and you know go through a couple of other motions, you know programming registers, and then it's in 64 column mode. Cool. So I was actually targeting, uh, probably going to target VG6, which is the 16 color, uh, 128 by 96 mode first, but um, uh, you know it it, it it all, it all works kind of the, the same way. As long, once you access the register set, you can uh, basically turn on and off either of those modes or whatever you like. Uh, and if, I'm, if I may ask, uh, how many of these boards have sold so far? So let's see. At last count, it was in the 20s. So not a huge number, but, um, but enough. Um, let's see here. Well, it still only works on certain versions of the boards, too, right? Yes, that's right. So and I think that's Ed part of the reason it hasn't sold more. Right. I mean, we have a waiting list, so we haven't been able to keep up with demand. There's, I think, three or four people still waiting in the waiting list 
but yeah, it looks like uh, 22 have been uh, shipped. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, Ed is looking at other board form factors. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that, um, uh, you know, I've occasionally, occasionally I get pings from folks in the, in uh, Europe asking about PAL support. Um, I have no reason to believe, I mean, I, I have no reason to expect Coco VGA wouldn't work uh, with a PAL system, but I just need to get my hands on one. So um, it sounds like maybe there's somebody who's willing to uh, sell me one and then uh, we'll give that a try. You got one to show us right there? A PAL Coco? No, no the, the VGA setup. A VGA setup? I, I guess, what do you what do you mean? I have it. Is it a, is it a board that goes on the motherboard? Is there, oh, yeah, is it sorry. Yeah, you want to see what the board pack? looks what like. What is it? Yeah, it's a board that plugs in in place of the 6847. So let me. Oh, that's right. You weren't at Tandy Assembly, Ron. I forgot about that. Nope. Right. Hold let it up me... a little bit higher, too, when you do. Yeah. You all these little Skype things on the bottom here. Let me see if. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's right there. Yeah, that's nice. It's a good-looking so, board. Um, and then uh, there's a ribbon cable that connects to the connector right there. Um, and that goes to a connector on the back with some buttons on it that lets you... That's what this guy is. Mm -hmm. um, that lets you... You know, it connects to a DIN plug and uh, has a couple of, you know, mode control buttons on the back. And uh, that DIN plug goes to a, a VGA cable, basically. Oh, okay. So which Cocos does it work with? Um, the ones that say, that, that normally have a vertical RF can right here. Um, I happen to have Ed's... Uh, yeah. Uh, I happen to have Ed's um, composite mod in here instead of the RF can, but it would be standing up vertically here. Uh, the the uh, channel three, four selection switch would be uh, above the RCA jack. And then the right. other way you can tell, I've got a, a web page that talks about this. The other way you can tell is if you have your Coco open, the little Rev B, where is it? Right there. Okay, Rev B, yeah. Yeah. So not to be confused with Rev B uh, on, the, on the bottom, because this one in particular, you know, is a... Um, what a twenty six thirty twenty seven, so it's not a. It doesn't. You, you can't tell that it's a Rev B board from looking at the, the model number on the bottom. Yeah, it's one of the first generation uh, American Coco, uh, two. Computers. Right. So you had to take out the old chip, and put a socket in. No, these these are all socketed, so it's as easy as popping out the chip. Um, putting the chip into the Coco VGA board and plugging the Coco VGA board in. Um, it's, I mean, it's really that, that simple from a standpoint of uh, hooking it up electrically or electronically. Um, you know, the, the harder part is if you want to install it, you know, so that, you know, make the mods the case, that's actually a lot more difficult than installing the board itself. Are you going to be at Coco Fest this year? Yes, I have my travel arrangements all taken care of. 
Um, my daughters have been begging to come with me for years, okay. so I've I've agreed to let my eldest one uh, come along with me this year. But that also means that she doesn't. She wants to come along really bad, but she also doesn't want to miss any school. So, so I'll be in late uh, Friday and leaving in Sunday Sunday afternoon. Okay. Okay. Well, I had you- one one question about the sixty four column mode. Did, does it work under Nitrous Nine uh, or even OS Nine? With Boise's mod, yes. Yeah, that's that's the driver that I was just alluding to earlier. That that works under Nitrous Nine. Okay. Yeah. And the benefit there is adding sixty-four columns to level one for the Coco One and Two that don't have that uh, feature, right? Because yeah. the no- normal Nitrous Nine on Coco Three already has a sixty-four or eighty-column right. mode, right? Eighty-column, uh, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Though, okay. mind you, the sixty-four by thirty-two column actually has more text than an eighty by twenty-five screen. That's ah. right. Uh-huh. And you also have semi-graphics, too. So now you have 128 by 64 eight-color semi-graphics. Yep, that's right. Uh-huh. Oh, he's just showing off, that's w- all. Will you have any for sale at uh, Coco Fest? I don't know at this point. I do know that Ed is working on a number of things, including Coco VGA. Okay. Um, I believe he did recently, like in the last couple of weeks, uh, finish one board, and the the last board to go out was the one that went to uh, Richard Lorbieski. So, um, so I know he's kind of working on them. I I could see there's potential that uh, that I could have them there, but there's no guarantees. Okay. Um, the other thing that's happening is um, I'm going to uh, Vintage Computer Festival Pacific Northwest okay. in uh, in mid February. So if I have boards, I'll bring them to the, uh, to that event as well. But um, Okay. Um, I haven't. I haven't confirmed that any would be available for that event necessarily either. Okay. Well, if you have, you know, if you have some that you're able to sell, feel free to come on here to promote that. Um, okay. To let Thanks. people know, or if you can't make it, let us know and we'll plug it for you. So, um, what's the name of the board? What do you call it? Coco VGA. Oh, okay. For lack of a better name, I, we're, we're not very creative. <laughs> Self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> what's it for, and what does it connect to? yeah right (laughs) also if you do guys if you guys do get the alternative versions that will work say on an old coco one or something like that i'd definitely be interested too because i've got a coco one f board okay i'm getting it for i think uh i think ed is looking at the coco one next um so uh i will have to see how soon uh, those become available you'll at least have the korean coco two the korean coco two a lot of those have the t1 in them the uh The, you know, the one that have lowercase. And uh, for those, those are electrically different. The socket is different because right. they've uh, pulled a latch um, that was on the the older board into the 6847. Uh, the pinout mm-hmm. is different and things like that. There's a there's a turn yeah. of the screw article about it. So anyway, at some point I would like to support those, but I think it's going to be a little bit before I can uh, before I can get those. You'll like at least have your own um, your own version to show off at like at your booth or whatever, right? So, so if somebody wants to oh, see yes. the Coco VGA, you'll have one to demonstrate, if not to sell. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of neat now seeing the whole thing come full circle because I think it was about two years ago when you were talking about it. Um, you know, it was still in the early stages, and we've gone from that to now it is a product and it's out there. Uh, it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat to see the whole evolution and now the completion of that. And it's it's a neat yeah. little project. So and some software support coming out now too, like Ed porting all the Infocom stuff over to it. Boise doing the driver for OSN level one, like the software support starting to snap up to it too. 
Yeah, that's that's that was a big fear of mine that uh, you know I would be the only one writing software at my snail's pace that I operate. Um, it's been awesome, you know, the the support I got from Ed and uh, and Boise on this. Um, it's it's pretty exciting to me. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, speaking of Cocoa Fest, I'll switch over to that website here real quick because uh, they have updated the website right now, and our list of attendees has grown. Uh, competitive bidding against you. Uh, <laughs> Ron Klein, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, John Linville, Richard Lorbieski. Is this going to be your first Cocoa Fest, Richard? Uh, for a long, long time, yes. Okay. Mark Marlette, John Mark Mobley, Bruce Moore, Jacob Moore, Jim O'Keefe, Boise Pete, Henry Reitveld, Mike Rowan, John Strong, myself, Evan Wright. So, so far, we've got what looks like um a, a nice little turnout of people who have already confirmed um coming to coco fest this year so that information can be found at um glensideccc.com um so yeah cool N another great party gathering of the minds I'm and stuff I'm excited about seeing Jamie listed uh Jamie was the one that got the source code for my uh, OS9 Space Invaders program many, many years ago, and I gave him the assembly language source code, and he translated it to run on the MM1. Ah, so, neat. So there is an MM1 version of my Space Invaders game, and then a few years later after that, he took that and translated it to work on Mac so there's also a Macintosh version. So I have a color computer game that uh, was ported to the MM1 and the Macintosh that I had nothing to do with. That's neat. That's really neat. Yeah, I've heard Jamie mention on the Coco Crew podcast many times because every now and then he will come out with uh, either a game or, or a posting or something. So he kind of, you know, kind of like Alan Huffman, just kind of sneaks in like a ninja every now and then and just, you know, wows us with something and then disappears for a while. But I guess Jamie has written some games and developed some things, or, or, or is he working on compilers or something too? I don't even know. I know it's, he's been mentioned so many times, I can't keep up with it. But uh, I've never met Jamie. I think some of us are not familiar with him. So another, another, another person to meet. So that's kind of cool. Have you met and, him in and person, Stevie? I wanted to go ahead, Alan. I wanted to mention something. I know there's been talk, uh, and again, I'm 20 episodes behind. There's been talk about magazines and Rainbow Online and all that. Um, and Steve, you may know about this. Do you know about the old school gamer magazine that just started? This is the January issue, which is uh, issue number two. Have you heard of this yet? No, I have not. This is a magazine that's all about retro games it has it's very similar to some of the things uh, i hear mentioned on this that come from the coca crew podcast they've got retro ads that are promoting atari 2600 games that are being made right now okay and i got this actually i just signed up and got it for free and they did some interesting marketing they were giving away free issues uh it also came with a collectible trading card uh the trading card that i got with mine is for the atari 2600 and it also contained a fold-out 
full-color poster. So I, I understand the retro market is is much larger than the color computer market, but I, I thought it was very interesting that there was a brand-new full-color glossy magazine and this is published out of Grimes, Iowa, uh, where we've got a retro arcade um, probably five minutes away from me. So I, it, it makes me wonder. I'm going to go talk to them and find out who they're using to do the publishing and the layout and what the modern-day costs are and you know what their break-even point is. Maybe it's, you know, it's, if these guys are thinking about doing print, um, I pretty much don't like print. But uh, when you get all the goodies with it, it is, it is quite the collectible. It sounds now, is like it, it. Is is that magazine devoted to like the old style computers and video game systems, or just video game systems, or arcade, or a mix of all, or what? I I'm pretty sure it's just the video games because it has a lot of arcade things, um, and it has a buy and sell, and you know here's the guy that you know articles about the high score on Donkey Kong and Billy Mitchell and all these arcade legends. So it's it's focused more on the arcade side, but something like this focused on retro computing seems uh, like it would also have a, a very big audience. And uh, I'm not aware of things existing. There's a couple of uh, fanzine magazines for different computers. But, um, you know, maybe that's kind of the approach is there being like an old school retro computing magazine that could have a color computer section and an Atari section or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if we just, you know, there's got to be somebody doing this, but I, I haven't been able to find it. Yeah, yeah, that might make more sense, strength in numbers, where we don't have to have, uh, you don't have to carry the, the weight of your back of a full-fledged Cocoa magazine every month, but have a Cocoa segment on a broad-spectrum magazine or something like that, yeah. Um, I just posted the link in the live chat. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to check it out. I'll try to contact them, too, because it looks like on their website they're featuring other podcasts, so maybe we could do uh, some cross-promotions and things like that. Um, yeah, no, I like that. That's a great idea. A real glossy magazine that's retro in itself, just carrying a magazine, carrying around paper is retro, it seems like, you know. So uh, trading cards is definitely a cool thing. So uh, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I dealt with one of those. Uh, very, well, I'll try cool. to bring the uh, – I'll probably – I'll try to bring what issues are out with me to the Cocoa Fest along with a uh, cooler of the return of Jolt Cola so we can have a good old retro time. <laughs> yeah, no crap, yeah. So I, I do recall – I think hey, I, I – think hey, Go ahead, Ron. Hey, Alan, what's um, what's your um, take or um, experience with the uh, MC10? I've never worked with one. I own one that I bought from Coco Fest. It's got the box and everything. And I co-programmed uh, an adventure game with a friend of mine a few hours away in Houston at the time. So we were on the phone writing it together, making sure it worked both on the color computer and the MC-10. And beyond seeing games that he showed me back then, that was the last time I touched one was 1984, I think, until I bought one at a Coco Fest, which I've never hooked up. I don't even have a TV I could hook it up to. Well, uh, if on your track of watching all these Coco Talk shows, you'll probably run across a couple of things that were really funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm already I'm already in the loop. I, I think I heard the uh, birth of, of the MC10 uh, discussions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
on the bright side, they've taken uh, David Ladd out of the crossfire. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, and I don't know if this is if this is suitable for the air or not. But Richard Lorbieski told me <laughs> an interesting story of how he became familiar with Alan Huffman even before the Coco days. I don't know if that's something you guys want to share on the air or not. But uh, <laughs> is that worth talking about, Richard, and especially Alan? Oh, I mean, no, I mean, it's up to Alan. He 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 makes it more interesting. Back in the Startail days, you remember that? Oh, did we have a discussion about that? Yeah, when you lived in Lufkin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so is that worth talking about I'll on the go, air or I'll not? I'll have to go or? back and reread the exchange and get back up to speed. I'd forgotten about that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, that was Philip. Philip was my brother-in-law at the time. I, I did find the modem scanner, which is probably the one a friend of mine used um, that was used to find all those StarTel codes. Yeah. <laughs> it's posted to the Color Computer Archive now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're long out of business, so, you know, it doesn't matter. All right, well, I guess we'll save yeah. it for another I think time. it even has references to StarTel in the program. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cool. Um, what I was going to say a minute ago was, I think I had recalled saying, you know, let's try to keep our shows. Let's try to focus on about a two hour show. Uh, we're going on about two hours and 40 minutes and that's fine. As long as we got things to talk about, uh, as long as it's not all fluff, that's, that's quite good. But, um, yeah, two hours and 38 minutes, another good show. Uh, I don't know. Do, what do you guys think? Do you want to try to do an after dark show tonight? Anyone? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll be around. Okay. Uh, and for those of you watching, and we've maintained a fairly steady, um, a steady uh, viewership of about two dozen viewers the whole time. So anybody who's watching right now, if you want to catch a live Coco Talk After Dark, you will have to subscribe. As this, I don't know if subscribe is the term, but like the Facebook page. We have a Coco Talk Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook.com and search for Coco Talk, which I think is just at I'll put it in the chat. So it's at Coco Talk Live. If you just search for that, anyways, we might do that. So what do you think? It's like it's almost five o'clock right now. I'm sure, I mean, you think like maybe eight or nine o'clock tonight? We'll try to do that. Sure. We gotta have sure. time. Sounds good. We I think nine o'clock your time. Ten o'clock uh, Central is cool with me. Nine o'clock Eastern. So we will try to right, do it. We'll try to do a Coco Talk after because we actually this was a actually I'd have to say a fairly legit show, very technical, very. You know, we talked about it was like a real computer tech talk show, and we got a lot of good stuff out here, and I'm not going to complain about that. But maybe we can cut loose, let our hair down, and just have some fun, you know, make fun of the MC10 and each other while we're at it. Who knows? Uh, it would become the Coco Celebrity Roast, for all we know. Uh, so, yeah, we'll look forward to a Coco Talk Live tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for those who can make it. Drinking, not mandatory, but highly encouraged. Um, Ron, Ron Delvaux already got his glass up. Uh, so, um, I'm going to run one more commercial and then we'll go around the room, see if anybody's got anything they want to talk about before we wrap up this episode of Coco Talk. And if we have lingering topics, we can bring them up tonight at Coco Talk After Dark. So we'll be back in two and two, folks. Hello, this is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco 3 yet? 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay Color Computer goodness. Gaming DVD today, gameplay head on over goodness. to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stro. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stro sent you. Good day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use! I find OS 9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual, and yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever! Any resemblance to actual events, to persons living or dead, is purely coincidental. Well, it's always good to have Nick Marionettes and Nick Marentes back with us on Coco Talk. <laughs> oh my goodness, there's that, pictures that to all the stuff there. I've been listening to. <laughs> good eye, good eye. So Nick, I don't know if you caught me eating the, uh, the Vegemite. Or not? I, I actually, that. Yeah, I ate real Vegemite, and I lived to tell the tale. So maybe that could be part of the show tonight. Every time uh, it'll be kind of like a drinking game. It'll be the Vegemite game. So every time I got to take a drink, I'll I'll take a uh, you know a, a knife full of Vegemite, which will actually force me to have to drink twice as much to get the taste out of my mouth. So <laughs> anyone it, tried coating a color computer with Vegemite? Leave <laughs> it out in the sun for a couple of hours, and yeah, well, that's right. Leave it in the sun. And instead of going white, it'll go black. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode of Coco Talk. This was pretty good tech talk. We had a lot of stuff to discuss. Coco Talk episode 43 is coming up on being a wrap. Uh, Mark Overholzer, or anything you want to sign off with? Any plugs? Anything to mention? Anything like that? Not this week, but I'm planning on going to Coco Fest, and so I'm getting all my stuff in order. All right, good. Look forward to that. Nick Marentes, anything you want to leave us with for next week? Ease of use. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Rendezvous. Keep on playing your cocoa during the week. Enjoy Maybe. all the different things you can do with it. All right, Curtis Boyle. Well, I, I was hoping to do a segment on it. We can maybe do it on the After Dark Show tonight. But uh, just a quick um, question for the people here that have got the alpha, and there's a few of them on the panel. What, what's your opinions of it so far for the uh, ease of use? Ease of use alpha. Okay. And, we, awesome. and we, speaking of that, we completely forgot to get to the segment, or we, or at least I did, the segment, why did Tandy do that? So at least we got something to talk about on a future show because Lord knows we will run out eventually. So <laughs> <laughs> No, we won't. <laughs> Mr. Bjork. Well, remember, folks, we've got Discord out there. So if you want to get your little mini Coco Fest on, uh, join us in the evening. There's a bunch of us that 
just sit around and talk and like that. Right, David? Indeed. We're mm. always chatting up a storm. All right, I'll post a link to the Discord server again um, while we're going around the room here. Alan Huffman, will you be able to join us later again tonight, twice in one day? Sure. What's Coco Talk After Dark? That's where we get together and drink and don't even pretend to have a serious show. Nothing we could see, possibly go wrong. We say what we really think. <laughs> We've become 16-year-olds and, and say dirty words. <laughs> Unlike this show where we try to pretend to be serious, we're not yes. really. Yeah, exactly. yeah, more exciting than an Amish office party. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, look as, just look at Alan as a place where we really cut loose. <laughs> EMP wise, I can only kidding. imagine what the inside jokes are going to be for that one. He's yeah. up oh, same moments. So, yeah, oh, you'll find out just how much I hate the MC10. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing thoughts as we wrap up this week's episode, Alan? Well, no, if I ever get caught back up with these things, I feel like I can participate more. But uh, um, it was great being here, and I, I will have to wait for the playback so I can listen to the first three and a half hours of this that I missed. Well, another thing, too, is you had talked about, you know, you had talked about a little thing about rereading the old Rainbow magazines and other, you know, magazines of that time. So if you ever want to do like that segment where like, you know, this week uh, in Rainbow, let's revisit a Rainbow Rewind or something like that. Uh, we'd love to have you do that segment either live or if you can't make it live, you know, pre-record a little recorded segment yeah. we, we can feature. Um, I thought that was a great idea and it should probably come from you with all of your uh, enthusiasm and, and charm and wit. So, um Alan's fireside chat. <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Grant Leedy, parting thoughts. Uh, just uh, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe to it on YouTube or on your favorite podcast. And uh, if you have any questions you want me to ask the panel uh, for one of the, one of the future shows, just uh, email us at uh, CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. Wow. And the Facebook group. Oh, yes, and, and the Facebook group. And the Facebook group. But David Ladd. Just remember to close that floppy drive door. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Lorbieski. Uh, just waiting for that 50 bucks that Grant Lee owes me. No, I forgot all about that. <laughs> Coco Man. <laughs> well, you can see we had a very serious technical discussion today, and I was rather quiet. <laughs> CocoMan.org. Right. org. There you go, Boise Pete. Anything you want to leave us with, or anything you want to plug? Uh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to be here as always, and I'll try to make it tonight. We have our granddaughter over, and that always takes precedent. But sure. uh, we'll see. Great. Thanks for being here. Thanks for legitimizing us. Family Thank first. <laughs> That's right. Brendan Donahue. I think I would just echo uh, Alan's sentiment that I'm sorry I missed the, the first two hours. But the good news is that uh, I've been able to keep up with uh, all the episodes lately. So as soon as you get this one out, I'll be able to listen to it, which I'm looking forward to. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for thanks for listening to the show. I'm sorry, and I apologize. <laughs> 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 all right. Rehabilitation will be set up later. It's uh... 
And for everyone who's been in the live chat today, I'll go back to the beginning with David Ladd and Nick Marota and Coco Man and Wayne Campbell and Fiscap, Paul Fiscarelli, Mark Overholzer, Ken, Ken, Make It, and Boyce and Tech and Retro Innovations and Nick Marota and Solstice. And Coco Love, who thought this was the Disney Pixar Coco live talk show, which, as you know, they their ratings are much higher than ours. And uh, Mark Overholzer, Tim Franklin, said he loved the mixed drinks on Coco Talk After Dark. Davy Mitchell, we're looking forward to looking at more of Davy's website and some of his projects. The Atari Hotel. If you're ever in the town of Atari and you need a place to stay for the night, make sure you check out the Atari Hotel. Uh, Frenomythic, that was, um, that's uh, Fedor Stamen uh, in uh, uh, Denmark. Uh, he came by and said hi. Alan Huffman was in the live chat, as well as, am I missing anyone? Davy Mitchell, I said Davy, I said Solstice, right? And Alan Huffman and Brendan Donahue was in the live chat before he joined us on the Skype call. I believe I've got everybody. Colin ben, Compton. Ben Barry, Barry Nelson. Barry Nelson, that's right. Barry Nelson was on the show, and Colin Compton was commenting on the magazine, saying that sounds like a good magazine to pick up. Ben Anding was here, too. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, all right, guys, so we're going to wrap up Coco Talk, episode 43. To play us out here, we're going to play the title track by Bruce Moore, and we'll see you guys tonight on Coco Talk After Dark on Facebook at 9 p.m. Eastern. Take care, everybody, and thank you all on the panel for being with us, as always. God bless you all, and long live the Coco. Bye-bye now. Bye. Peace, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it live. Let's try this outro crap again. Hold on now. Play us out. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, then visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Coco Talk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Rick Adams, Rom Delvaux, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Nick Marentis, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our Best of 2017 episode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at TandyAssembly.com. Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud9Tech.com. Boyson Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N-Tech.com. Definitely nice tune.
He kept on saying this was going to be a two-hour show. We're shooting for two hours. It's going to be two hours. I go, no, it's going to be three. No, it's going to be three. And Steve's eye roll when you said that, Stevie, was actually quite good. So (laughs) (laughs) two hours. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. And we didn't even get to Mr. Bjork's topic either. Yeah. Or Curtis's. Yep. (laughs) No, after Alan came in at that point there i figure show is too long i'm not going to remind steve of the new topic yes yeah well i mean that's the nice thing about having a little <coughs> some an organic flow where we can you know you can bounce around we had some new blood in the show so that was good it's good to have yep. some new faces uh we have something to talk about tonight too so there you go or save it for next week no uh, i won't be here next week ah okay i have well. a surprise party to go to well, how do you know if it's a surprise? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Now, it, now it's out. Now Hello. it's not a surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to spend some quality family time for a little while, and hopefully, I see you guys tonight. I got to I got to stock up on the uh, drinkables too. So yeah, I need some lemons. I'm going to get my Australian <laughs> licorice. Hey, Nick, breakfast. Will you be able to join us tonight, Nick? Later on, uh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, that's okay. another what four hours away, four or five hours away. Yeah, four, four hours. Something. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, hey I'll Nick, do you to... ever sleep? <laughs> I do <laughs> sleep <like> actually. <laughs> I mean, what uh, time is it out there right right now? Right, right now. I'll have a look. It's uh, eight o'clock, eight a, um, eight a.m. So you had so to I get have... up five o'clock to four, join us. Four o'clock. I got up at four o'clock, so I'm about to go to breakfast. Go eat. Yes. <laughs> Nick is a trooper. Thank you, Nick, for showing up. I'll, I'll put out an invitation. on. I'll create an event and, and invite some people on Facebook if anybody wants to join us tonight live. Um, I know how to stream it live now to where um, it won't disappear either. And I put Ooh. together a playlist of like lounge music, like 70s, jazz, and funk and things like that. So we'll be playing some like loungy, uh, funky background music too, which I think adds a little vibe to it too, you know? So. Yeah. Then our, our logo should be Leisure Suit Larry in his lounge suit. <laughs> yes. Somebody find a ping of that, a PNG file.